Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. All right, no secret how I spent one particular afternoon on vacation, and there is nothing to add except to say thank you. Thank you to all who reached out in person, who sent messages. I appreciate it. That includes Mr. Hannity and Ms. Maddow. They acted as colleagues, not competitors, and I won't forget it. In fact, I'm not going to forget, and I will use all of the feedback. Because the key is for us to all be better, and that starts with me. So let me do what we do best here and expose an ugly reality. Here's the argument. Republicans have been intentionally downplaying white supremacy, that it is literally part of their playbook. I would say I missed you, but I think I saw you more last (laughs) week (laughs) than I see you when we're actually here together. I spent like every other day, if not every day with you. Yes. It's kind of weird. I had a, a very eventful uh, week. I think that the only time I wasn't with you, I really should have been with you. I would have been in a lot better position. Right Actually, now. I was there, I, but did not see it, remember? <laughs> good, good I should have been. I should have been there. And welcome back to Flabber Politic Podcast. It's the 24th of August, year of our Lord, 2019. And that is Cuomo and Lemon. Yucking it up about throwing a motherfucking deplorable down a flight of stairs. And a supercut of our media rooting for recession. Yeah. We got a lot of repeats today. We're going to do a hit on CNN. We're going to do a little bit of freaking more Antifa stuff. Planned Parenthood. It's a hodgepodge, so it's a fire for effect soundbite day. And then our This Is America is going to make me scream and yell into the mic because every once in a while a liberal really says what they feel. And when they say it, I'm there to catch them and go, that's what's wrong with progressives. So enough of me bumping gums a day late. Sorry. Wife's working today. I had nothing to do. So I pushed it one day to Saturday podcast. And let's go into Fire for Effect, a little CNN. Because CNN, well, they just fucking suck. secret how I spent one particular afternoon on vacation, and there is nothing to add except to say thank you. Thank you to all who reached out in person, who sent messages. I appreciate it. That includes Mr. Hannity and Ms. Maddow. They acted as colleagues, not competitors, and I won't forget it. In fact, I'm not going to forget, and I will use all of the feedback, because the key is for us to all be better, and that starts with me. So let me do what we do best here and expose an ugly reality. Here's the argument. Republicans have been intentionally downplaying white supremacy, that it is literally part of their playbook. The obvious question is, why are they doing this? And we'll get to that. But first, 
Let me dismiss any suggestion that this argument is false. Here's the proof. Obtained by the Tampa Bay Times. This is an internal memo circulated among GOP members of Congress. Here's a sample question. You can go online and get it for yourself. I'm going to truncate for time's sake. Do you believe white nationalism is driving more mass shootings recently? The answer is to give a pro forma condemnation of white nationalism. It's all bad. And I say pro forma because they then effectively are told to own the white supremacists as part of their team by immediately saying, but what about those people on the left? As in, Nazis suck, but so do dot, dot, dot. That but, that qualification of the condemnation sounds like a defense because it is, especially when your the left is bad too defies the facts. Now, of course, there are thugs acting under many flags and all who break the law to advance a political agenda are to be called out, maybe criminals, maybe terrorists. These white nationalists, however, are among the worst, morally and statistically. The ADL says nearly three quarters of extremist related murders in the past decade were committed by right wing extremists like white nationalists. So why does the president say he's considering naming Antifa a terror organization, but silent about the same for white nationalists. Is this perverse notion of covering for their side fueling the resistance by Republicans to condemn white nationalists' murders as acts of terror? Not even domestic terror, just terror. I wouldn't even qualify it as domestic and international. It's all terror, just call it that. The president can't go after Muslims and brown folks enough. Nothing from him. Putting these white haters into the mix as terrorists, though. Plenty of going all out to mitigate their impact. Listen to this. You had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. He strained. He was trying to make it okay. Why? Because clearly he's about dividing us by race and ethnicity. Echoing slurs. Encouraging people to use them. Is this memo the cement solidifying this sordid structure of the GOP campaign? If so, then the obsession with Congresswoman Tlaib and Omar makes sense. Female, brown, Muslim. It's like a toxic trifecta for those determined to divide. No, they say this is about standing with Israel, standing with Jewish people here and there. That's why he says he tweeted that members of the U.S. Congress hate Israel and all Jewish people. I think he's looking to divide, not show unity. Why? Well, here's the argument. If you want to support the Jewish people here, well, don't both sides on white supremacy. Call white nationalists terrorists, especially when they are the ones targeting Jews here. Why was he quiet about this? The guard at a prison that contracts with ICE, accused of running American Jews down last week. Why didn't he say anything? The foiled shooting of a Jewish center warranted at least a tweet, no? Clearly, this president has plenty of time and inclination to tweet a lot of things that don't matter as much as that, right? And yet, silence. And now along with it, his moving away from trying to help control access to the weapons haters keep choosing. Why back off background checks? Back to the memo. Question, do you think we should ban assault weapons? Here's the answer.
The left wants to create gun registries and move toward confiscating weapons and leaving law-abiding citizens vulnerable and unarmed. They know damn well that's no proposition and no proposal anywhere in Congress right now. But it may explain why our president is once again slinking away from what he said. Remember this? Take the guns first, go through due process second. Take the guns first, due process second. Then this. I'm also very, very concerned with the Second Amendment, more so than most presidents would be. People don't realize we have very strong background checks right now. Yeah, except for that, about 20, 25 percent of the sales don't go through them. You remember him talking about red flag laws? Now he thinks the only person they should apply to is me. That was one of his tweets when he came after me. He's literally joking about red flag laws when they could be the difference between life and death. So what's changed? You know, I laugh. It would be funny if we're just about cheap shots, but it's not. It's about shots with bullets that keep killing us and our kids everywhere and everyone. And he knows it. He's acknowledged it. But it seems that there's a different plan. We see it in the memo. There's a way to keep power by motivating those of you who are so worried about some of these issues that you are susceptible to being played. Listen to this. We must stop the glorification of violence in our society. This includes the gruesome and grisly video games that are now commonplace. Really? You have these groups that are organizing, being empowered, being emboldened, attacking more. You want to talk about the games? Lots of places have games. They don't have this problem. Now, is this really about the party and that he's copying this playbook? Or is it about his party mirroring what they hear from him and deciding we got to go along to get along? All we know is they're clearly on the same page. The playbook makes it plain. The proof is clear of what they want this election to be about and how they want to play it. This election is truly about what we accept and what you decide to reject. What will you allow to win? That's the question. He chases the easy slumber of blaming others and sowing the seeds of discord and division. The farmers who toss and turn, wondering when these tariffs will end. Those cast into the bucket of others, thems, worrying at night about their place and their kids' futures. Surely there are people all across this country who've had bad dreams about where we're headed and whether we're going to have five more years like this. Now, while I wish poor sleep on no man, maybe this president could use a sleepless night or two. Less executive time, fewer hours in front of the TV and on the golf course. Maybe he should focus on fixing things, carrying that burden, because that's the job. And it should get hard. Messing with Iran, big talk about China, that's easy. Getting a deal, not so easy. And if policy doesn't haunt his sleep, certainly the problems for people should, no? Imagine sleeping at night or sleeping easily, nothing keeping you up. When people are dying, when they shouldn't. Concerts, movies, churches, synagogues, malls, high schools. Hundreds of innocents murdered in mass shootings on your watch. I'm not arguing that he's to blame. The murders, the murderers bear that burden. But imagine being him and having the power to do something about it and doing nothing. How would you sleep? Kids in cages at your command, calling for raids that leave families crying in the streets.
Can you imagine dealing with that and sleeping easy? Now, if not them, then surely someone like private first class Brandon Kreischer, a specialist Michael Nance, they have to be worth lost sleep. Paratroopers dying in combat in Afghanistan less than a month ago. His president is only visited once, but shouldn't that visit his sleep every night? Shouldn't he process that pain and lose sleep? Isn't that what the job is about? Doesn't he see their faces? Can you imagine all of this on your shoulders and not needing a bottle of Ambien to just take a nap? How about this? Care more. Mr. President, you may sleep less, but the rest of this country... Americans of being either ignorant or disloyal if they supported Democrats. Should be noted that throughout history, calling Jews disloyal has been a common anti-Semitic trope. It's been a pretext to exclude Jews or take their businesses or put them in ghettos or expel them or expel them from schools or exterminate them. Today, the president repeated the disloyalty claim, although this time specifying that American Jews who voted for Democrats would somehow be disloyal to Jews and to the state of Israel. Nevertheless, the theme of disloyal American Jews from this president continues. Ivanka Trump must be very proud of her dad tonight, and you could probably just watch for an Ivanka leak in the coming days about how she tried to talk her father, you know, to change that kind of language. It's a classic Ivanka move. The president also today executed a move rarely seen in modern-day politics. He denied something that he confirmed yesterday, which was then denying what the White House had been denying that very same day. It's like a flip-flop flip. It's a move rarely seen because it might make voters think the person doing it is either A, unstable, B, not a genius, or C, truly has no idea what they are saying at any given moment, or D, all of the above. So here's what happened. Today, the president was asked for a second straight day about the White House looking at the possibility of cutting payroll taxes, which was first reported by the Washington Post Monday. Here's what he said today, and unless you're Simone Biles, prepare yourself for a very your very first backflip. I'm not looking at a tax cut now. We don't need it. We have a strong economy. Uh, Certainly a payroll tax cut. President Obama did that in order to artificially jack up the economy. President Obama had zero interest rates. I don't have zero interest. I have real interest rates. And despite that, I have a strong economy. So he's not looking at a tax cut now. No payroll tax, no nothing. Now, it's possible that in that moment, He believes what he's saying, that he understands the words and that they reflect his beliefs. But then the question is, did he believe what he was saying yesterday? Did he understand what he was saying then? Because it is the opposite of what he said today. Payroll tax is something that we think about, and a lot of people would like to see that. And that very much affects the the workers of of our country. So we're talking about indexing, and we're always looking at the uh, capital gains tax, payroll tax. But today, not considering any tax cut. Yesterday afternoon, considering all kinds of tax cuts. And and that was news yesterday because it was the opposite of what the White House had been saying when the Washington Post broke the story that they were looking at a payroll tax cut. So this is just a late example of how difficult it is to give credence to the words that come out of the president's mouth or the White House press office, for that matter. At any given moment, those words can lose all their meaning because they suddenly say something that was the exact opposite of what they just said. And this is someplace, really, we've never been before. I mean, look, presidents have shaded the truth before. They've lied on occasion. They've held back information, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes not. They've changed positions, sometimes drastically. That's that's not what's happening now. These are just complete and total changes in positions from one day to the next, not based on any actual change of thought. It's just different words. 
Our friend and colleague Maggie Haberman has observed that this president will say whatever he needs to say just to get through in 10-minute increments of time. And judging from the last 24 hours, it would be hard to say that she's wrong. Whether it's about a little thing like the you know health and future of the U.S. economy or gun legislation after two mass shootings 12 days ago, shortly after El Paso and Dayton, president was going to stand up to the NRA and its position that imposing tougher background checks for gun buyers would be the first step onto a slippery slope. That's a common NRA talking point. president said he did not buy the slippery slope argument from the NRA. You know, it's a slippery slope. They think you approve one thing and that leads to a lot of bad things. I don't agree with that. I think I think we can do meaningful, very meaningful background checks. I want to see it happen. Okay, so that's August 9th. Now, a regular person, just anybody listening to that would think, okay, well, he, he's, he means those words. Those, those are strong words. They seem powerful. One of his favorite words. It comes out of the president's mouth. It must have some meaning. He doesn't believe the slippery slope. He wants to do something meaningful. Well, yesterday he said, quote, we have very, very strong background checks right now. Very, very strong, he emphasized. And also then reversed himself on that whole slippery slope thing. The people that uh, a lot of the people that put me where I am are strong believers in the Second Amendment. And I am also. And we have to be very careful about that. You know, they call it the slippery slope. And all of a sudden, everything gets taken away. We're not going to let that happen. Okay, so yesterday he uh, he does believe in the slippery slope all of a sudden and believes that we already have very, very strong background checks. So that was just yesterday. Here's what he said today. Oh, I have an appetite for background checks. We're going to be doing background checks. We're working with Democrats. We're working with Republicans. Uh, We already have very strong background checks, but we're going to be filling in some of the loopholes, as we call them, at the border. Okay. Uh, Having said the word border, he then segued into talking about the Mexican border, because, of course. So in him talking about background checks there, was he talking about people coming over the border? Was he even talking about guns at all? We don't know. It's all just words. There, there is no actual meaning often when the president talks, and that's really alarming. I mean, remember when Republicans on Capitol Hill would say they don't pay attention to the president's tweets? Well, I guess the question is, should anyone pay attention to the president's words? We know from the Mueller report how often the people around the president in the White House simply ignore what he says. They, they hope he forgets or moves on. And maybe that's how they sleep at night, but we can't ignore the president of the United States. Even if his words mean nothing, he is signing laws and making decisions that impact all our lives, our futures. It may seem funny at times, but it's not. This is pathetic. Let's get some perspective now from Tom Freeman, New York Times columnist and author of the best-selling Thank You for Being Late, an Optimist Guide to Thrive. That's Cuomo just basically, I did nothing wrong. I am awesome. And Cooper... Dude, does anybody even believe they're journalists over there? Does, I mean, I, I just don't know how, with their ratings so low, they don't understand what you just heard from Cooper. That's not journalism. That makes Hannity look sane. And, and they're not covering this. Godfather actor shreds Cuomo over Fredo meltdown. His father would smack him. Gianna Russo played Carlo Rizzi. And the Godfather slam scene and host Chris Cuomo in an interview with TMZ on Saturday over Cuomo's public meltdown over a person called him Frito. Russo was called, if Frito was an Italian insult, 
To which he responded, I can't believe that he would say that. First of all, I know the whole family's father would smack him. Frito was a fictional character in a Godfather series and was known as the weakest and least intelligent brother of the Corleone crime family. Russo said that Cuomo's father would be ashamed of him and that Cuomo hurt his career with his public outburst where he threatened to throw a person who called him Frito down a flight of stairs. Russo also slammed Cuomo's job performance, knowing that as an alleged news host, Cuomo's supposed to report news, not about what Cuomo thinks. Russo said that if he were to say anything to Cuomo, it would be, you made a fool out of yourself. They did also not report bodyguard for CNN's April Ryan gets charged with assault after video shows him hitting a reporter. It's official. He is being charged. They haven't even covered it. Because they're too busy covering Chirons like this. Trump declares, I'm the chosen one on China trade as he self-aggrandizes, backtracks, and insults during Q&A. That's a Chiron. Oliver Darcy. Still trying to wrap my head around how Fox would have covered Obama if he had paused, looked up towards the sky, and declared himself the chosen one. Fox didn't have to cover that. Fox was too busy covering CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, and CBS saying Obama was the chosen one. Obama didn't have to say it. You said it for him, and you burned nativity candles with his face on it. You bunch of fucking lemmings. Then to show the media is just total horse shit, Michael Caladron Mark Halpern has a book deal for which he interviewed more than 75 top Democratic strategists. This just shows Me Too is bullshit. Me Too is me too if you're conservative. If you're Democrat, well, we just, we defend you. Halpern, the guy from SNL who's a senator, I hate saying his name on my show... Weinstein, I mean, come on. It's not as important when you're not a conservative. Axios, social media firms might police speech to protect truth. After years being hammered by liberal talking heads for being too lenient about policing content, social media companies are considering radical changes to the social media landscape. Big tech giants might begin to decide what is true and what is false, according to Axios. Facebook is one company among many radically shifting their outlet to on free speech to defend against the spread of manipulated media, which experts believe threaten elections, businesses, and human rights. Companies are now discussing policy, potential new policies, to call them out or even take them down. So as the election season comes, get ready for me reporting This was taken down. That's factual. This is taken down. That's factual. This is taken down. That's factual about Democrats because we're not talking about truth. We're talking about agenda. New York Times lashes out at brutality of American capitalists and connects it to slavery. We got a lot of this today. A lot of crazy shit. A CBS soundbite where the reason why we don't have universal health care is because of slavery. I shit you fucking not. I don't know how you make that connection, but you go with your bad self. To the New York Times, forget 1776 and all that. The New York Times wants to reframe your benighting understanding 
of the nation's founding, which they they date to 1619, when the original sin of slavery first began to spread, as the first African Americans brought to North America as slaves. PJ Media said it may be the most ambitious left-wing propaganda project in history. This year marks the 400th anniversary of the event, and the Times is primed to put slavery in the center of the American story. Because remember, we have the inside track that that's what they're going to do to try to get Trump not elected. Everything's racist. So here's the story. And redefine capitalism as slavery while they're at it. The first salvo came on Sunday in a 100-page special edition, the 1619 Project, of the Sunday Magazine, plus a 16-page special print section, mostly photos and historical explanations. The magazine was stuffed with left-wing opinions, each more radical than the last, plus original poetry for the occasion, from the economy to junk food to medical care to political system and traffic jams in Atlanta. Everything tied back to slavery. The cover includes a line on the fourth anniversary of this fateful moment. It is finally time to tell our story truthfully, as opposed to all the lying that came before. The Times clearly wants this magazine edition to enter into the historical record. We have printed hundreds of thousands of additional copies of this issue for distribution at libraries, schools, and museums. They credit the generous support of, among other, the NAACP and other left-wing groups. We're going all in on this one. We're just going all in. Yes. So here is a ex-editor defending their decision to make everything about racism. Essentially, he told reporters and staffers that, that we we started, I hope you can hear me, that we started, you know, trying to cover uh, the Trump-Russia collusion narrative, and that's kind of gone away. So now we're going to cover President Trump as a racist. racist. Is, is that essentially what he says? Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I think you mischaracterize what he said. He, he, what he was explaining is that that the paper had been set up to cover a deep investigative uh, story out of Washington and that now they were pivoting to coverage of a general election where the job of the New York Times is to be out in the country figuring out how people feel and what they think. It was not uh, telling people, get ready to cover a racist administration. That is a complete mischaracterization of what he was saying. But isn't that a characterization? I've read, isn't the, that, tra- I've read that transcript twice. But isn't that an allegation? Let me, let me read you a piece of that transcript. And, and, and we also have taken the opportunity to read through that as well, where he is questioned, Dean Baquet, by his staffers pretty aggressively in that meeting. Here's a bit of it. And this is Dean Baquet's words. We built our newsroom to cover one story, and we did it truly well. Now we have to regroup and shift resources and emphasis to take on a different story. It is a story that requires deep investigation into people who peddle hatred. But it is also a story that requires imaginative use of all our muscles to write about race and class in a deeper way than we have in years. That is the point at which it was really criticized. You heard some members of Congress, including Ted Cruz and others, speaking out pretty aggressively about that revealing a, an intentional shift in coverage, Jill, from, from the Russia narrative to now race in covering the president. Is that fair? 
Um, I think that's an overstatement. I think if you look at the totality of what Dean said, he was urging his staff to make a pivot to cover out in the country, in all America, not just in Washington, like how people are feeling, to understand deeply why they elected Donald Trump in 2016 and why they possibly may do so again in 2016, to really get in touch with the country. And that will involve, for sure, understanding why white nationalism is on the rise, why we have seen... Uh, some racist uh, incidents. I think that, that that is what he was doing if you look at the full transcript. Jill, I know you so to me, it's less about the individual instances of racism and sort of how we're thinking about racism and white supremacy as the foundation of all of the systems in the country. In other words, Racism is this huge thing, which is no longer simply about hating somebody because of their race, but now it's because of all these other things that you might disagree with the liberal establishment about. Well, and you could certainly say, obviously, we had a slavery problem in the United States for a very long time, followed by a very long period of Jim Crow. Uh, but, again, the fight then becomes about what about right now? And so what you have is people in the New York Times newsroom who are to the left of Dean Baquet, the executive editor, he's sort of the Nancy Pelosi in this newsroom. He's <laughs> the true. centrist. And he's got this radical base of journalists yeah. who are saying, it's our, I mean, you look at the transcript in Slate, it's constantly saying, why aren't we calling Trump a racist? We should call all these Republicans racist. All the Trump supporters are racist. That's what the, his reporters want to do. Yeah. And it just shows you again, there's no object, objectivity. Well, that's not journalism. Times. I mean, it's not journalism to have an agenda like that. But the point is, Tim, it's not just Donald Trump. It's the entire United States of America, not only the foundations, not only our founding fathers, but our science, uh, our culture, everything that was listed in there that should be viewed through the prism of racism. It's all racist all the time. And as you say, you're right, the managing editor now is the Pelosi. Uh, hopefully he'll have some effect, but I don't know. It's a pretty strong trend in that newspaper and all of journalism in America. But none of this should be surprising for us. James Hansen sums up 2016, 2015, and reminds us of what we just went through with Hillary. And if you're new to the podcast, you could go back to um, every fucking convention going back to the dawn of time. For conservatives, it's racism, dark. For Democrats, they're the best at this. Their speeches were epic. They're this. They're that. la da 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 da, -da. He sums it up with this nice little tweet screed. A timely reminder that in 2016, several major journalists were re revealed to be explicitly coordinating with the Clinton campaign, or at the very least, favoring it and working closely with it. None suffered consequences. These folks will help shape 2020 coverage. WAPO colonist Dana Milbank, who recently accused Mitch McConnell of being a Russian asset, Moscow Mitch, apparently asked the DNC in 2016 for oppo research on Trump. Glenn Thrush, then with Politico and now at the New York Times, sent John Podesta's story for approval 
and we covered it on the show, asking, can I send you a couple of graphs, OTR, off the record, to make sure I'm not fucking anything up? Thrusha also told Podesta, because I have become a hack, I will send you the whole section that pertains to you, he said. Please don't share or tell anyone I did this. And then there's John Harwood of CNBC, who consistently tweets misleading and critical takes on the economy. Harwood's exchange with the Podesta included gloating about his question of the 2015 GOP primary debate, among other things. Mark Leibovich, the chief national correspondent of New York Times Magazine, told HRCA Jennifer Palmieri she could veto whatever she didn't want before he published a story titled, Re-Re-Re-Reintroducing Hillary Clinton. He cut parts she objected to. Ken Vogel sent the DNC communication director an article about HRC's campaign fundraiser ahead of time, as long as the director didn't share it. Politico acknowledged that doing so was a mistake. And, of course, Maggie Haberman, they went Politico, and now with the New York Times, was singled out by HRC spokesman Nick Merrill as a friendly journalist who was safe and had teed up stories for the campaign in the past and never disappointed. Whenever, Whatever... Whether you like Trump or hate him, things like this are a stain on the journalism industry. And they're prime examples of why half the country doesn't trust what they hear from major media outlets. Trump didn't create distrust in the media. He exploited it. It's true. So we know New York Times says, hey, we're going to make everything racism. CBS goes, hold my beer. And here's the pre-spoken about health care is not happening because of slavery. The thing that's so amazing about this that makes me so proud, you can look about at anything that's happening, just about anything that's happening in the world today and tie it to slavery. You look at the highways in Atlanta, you look at the naming of Wall Street, you look at sugar that we eat. But the thing that stuck out to me was health care, that you can tie, you can tie health care to slavery. How? Absolutely. So there's a piece in there about why we're the only Western industrialized country that doesn't have universal health care. And it starts with opposition to universal health care that occurs um, right after slavery when the Freedmen's Bureau was trying to offer free health care to the formerly enslaved. And there was white opposition to that. Um, and so even today you see with polling that white Americans will reject social programs if they think large numbers of black people will benefit from them. And so uh, the, the harms of slavery have not been contained because there are millions of white Americans there are millions of Latinos and Asian and black Americans who don't have health care, who can't get insurance because of slavery. I mean, this is all preceded by 2008 private chat room. Hey, we're going to get Obama elected because he's a black guy and that's what we've always wanted because we're uber libs. And oh, by the way, anytime somebody attacks him, just call him a racist. Discovered. And it was the whole campaign. Obama's election campaign in 2008 was you're a racist. And John McCain is already cremated. And it worked. Of course, when you said Hillary was cremated because she was really sick and doing diggers in public, you're a sexist. So why should we be surprised? The media from now until then will beat a drum. Trump's a racist. The problem is Trump says crazy shit and he just keeps feeding him crap. So this subtle health care is racist, uh, this is racist, that is racist, the regular crazy, won't be as much out there as you can point it. It'll be everything he says is racist. So while the media was starting the, the, the total New York Times playbook, we're all going to just play the racism drum, 
they were trying to take your guns. And my favorite is, once again, This is America 2019. Brooke Baldwin again as CNN decided to go all in with March for Our Lives. Meanwhile, this important development. President Trump appears to be retreating on his calls for stricter background checks on gun purchases. The president told reporters he believes background checks are very strong. With Congress still on recess, there has been no movement on gun legislation following the deadly mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton and Gilroy. A new national poll shows Americans want action. An overwhelming majority want background checks expanded. All right, let's welcome back Andrew Gillum, Bakari Sellers, April, Ryan and Angela Rye. Angela, once again, this this is a pattern that we have seen repeated over and over. There will be a horrific mass shooting or a school shooting. There's been Parkland. There's been Las Vegas. There's been what happened two weeks ago. The president's gut reaction via Twitter will be we need to raise the age to buy guns. We need to ban bump stocks. We need to do expanded background checks. And then something happens over the next few days and he changes his tune. A very small step in the right direction. And so you would think that at this point, given the fact that uh, he has a close connection to white supremacists, given the fact that there have been far too many people who have been killed regardless of their interest, their race, their gender, their age in this country, that he would want to do something and take this in a different direction. He could have a win under his belt for finally doing the right thing. All of a sudden, now he's backed away. Donald Trump is weak. The emperor has no clothes on. And, and it's really <laughs> devastating to see on this issue where there's such unanimity, uh, such a, a, a pull, both from the left and the right, to see something happen here, to see him basically feckless uh, for all intent and purpose. But I think that lack of courage that Andrew's been talking about, that fecklessness that, that, we're, that we're all talking about, has been a part of the Republican Party because they've been purchased by the NRA for a very long period of time. Lindsey Graham represents this area. He represents this state. And we still have the Charleston loophole whereby Dylan Roof was able to walk in and because his background checks were not completed in the amount of time period by the FBI, he was able to purchase that weapon, go in and kill nine people at a Bible study. The NRA has bought and purchased the entire Republican Party. And and that's where we are now. We've seen the American public come out. It takes the American people to change this president's mind. And as long as the pressure keeps coming, H.R. 8 could be a possibility. It's passed in the House, but but where's the Senate? Where are the Senate Republicans? But for for decades, I mean, since Democrats got destroyed in those United States House races after we had the assault weapons banned and they blamed it on that, Democrats lost the backbone to fight for gun control. And all I'm saying is that we're at a point now where, where, and I understand April's point about we the people having to do this, but my retort would would be simply how many more people have to die? And so we have a lot of bloodshed at this point where every single week we're we're numb to the fact that more people are dying. And I personally am exhausted and I simply don't believe that anything will change. Mm -hmm. Prove me wrong. Um, but I, I just don't believe it will. But, right, I mean, well. I, I also think that the point is, Bakari, probably to your point, is that the president holds a lot of sway with oh, Senators yeah, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell. Right. The president that's has right. a lot of power yeah. over them. So if he made his right. wishes yeah. known, they would probably... It's 8 o'clock in the East, and it certainly seems as if the president is retreating on gun legislation again. Just 10 days after calling for meaningful background checks... The president is now arguing, or seems to be arguing, that the status quo might be enough. 
with Congress still on recess, there's really been no movement on gun legislation following the massacres in California and then El Paso and then Dayton. But a new national poll shows that Americans want action. An overwhelming majority want background checks expanded. And 52% of voters disapprove of the way the president is handling the response to these mass shootings. It's worth noting that four of the deadliest mass shootings in modern American history have happened during the Trump presidency. All right. Well, here's just a few poll numbers to put up so people see where Americans are on these. 89%. Of Americans, Republicans, yes. Democrats support expanding background checks, red flag laws that get guns out of the hands of the most dangerous people, 76 uh, percent, voluntary gun buyback, 75 percent, ban sale of assault weapons, 62 percent. So it, will anything change right now as you see it? What we know right now is that the gun rights are conflicting with human rights, the right to live. So for all of the people out there, especially on the conservative side of the aisle, that say they are pro-life, you should be pro-life when it comes to gun killings as well. So where are you? Where are you when it's time to stand out for the right to live when people are being killed? Yeah, I'm depressed. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm, as an age-old civil rights adage, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Look, I mean, I don't believe anything's going to happen, and I, I, I'm sorry for being so jaded, but that, I'm jaded by reality. I mean, your, your question, John, was damning, and it didn't do anything for my depression this morning, because now you're asking me to ask the president of the United States to be a leader, something he's been incapable of doing his entire life. And so now, yeah. if that is, is what I have to depend on, then my depression, it, it exacerbates. But we have cowards that we've elected to go- places of government, and that has to change. I don't believe anything will. So stop messing with my depression this morning, John. Mm. That is doubly depressing. Um, Colin Kaepernick gave up everything that he had for something he believed in. He will always be a hero in the same vein that we talk about Muhammad Ali. So I will tell you, I was I was disappointed when I heard that we're past kneeling. Right. And I think we should all reject that. We're not past kneeling. Uh, 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 Innocent people particularly black and brown people, continue to die in the streets unwarranted. Uh, we're not beyond... I think that it is really helpful to know, finally, how the president and the Republicans in the Senate feel about guns and about whether there are any solutions. I think it's very helpful for Americans to know this is as good as it gets. This is all, this is all you can ever hope for. They're not presenting any solutions. They don't feel like coming back from August recess to figure it out. The president has backtracked again, so we have to believe this is his real position. So as we all prepare to send our kids back to school next week, I think it is just good for Americans to know that they've given up, okay? So now we just have to accept that do we like it like this, or do we think that, you know, in 15, if voters think that in 15 months there's a way to do better, then they know what their choices are, because it's very clear this morning. So the teenage kids who are all uber libs and call you a piece of shit for running and you're a child murderer and you kill babies, this is their plan. National licensing and registry system for guns and ammunition, a ban and mandatory buyback program for assault weapons, a ban on high-capacity magazines, raising the age for all gun purchases to 21, a federal version of extreme risk protection orders commonly known as red flag laws, a limit of one firearm purchase per month, a ban on all online firearm and ammunition sales or transfers including gun parts, the creation of a national director of gun violence prevention who report directly to the president what did cnn tweet change the standard of gun ownership 
have the rate of gun deaths of 10 years, accountability for gun lobby and industry, name a director of gun violence, generate community-based solutions, empower the next generation. It was then verbatim what the kids said. But here's the problem. We talked about Obama's jail is racist releasing all sorts of gun people. Here's just a couple little things. Wall Street Journal ran an op-ed based on an interview with the former NYPD commissioner, William Bratton, where he talked about the certainty of punishment as being necessary to cure gun violence. Chicago, where the murder rate rose 16% last year, to try to put someone in jail for a gun-related activity, you really have to go the extra mile, he said. If there's one crime for which there has been certainty of punishment, it is gun violence. He ticks off other places where help is needed. Oakland, Chicago, Baltimore, D.C. All have gangs whose members have no capacity for caring about life and respect for life. Someone like that, put them in jail, get them off the street, keep them safe. And here we are seven years later, and nothing has changed in Chicago. Via Chicago police spokesman Anthony Guliami. Is this Chicago you want? For $500, you can walk out of jail after being arrested for possession of this arsenal. James Mather was charged with felony gun possession and five misdemeanor counts of unlawful use of a weapon. They did nothing. Another one. Brutally violent Antifa protesters arrested on weapons charge and leftists have raised nearly 10000 in two days for his legal defense. He's in Portland, Oregon. He illegally possessed a gun. They don't care because he's a good guy with a gun. Yeah, a good guy. But their theory is if you take the guns, even if it's just one life, it's worth it. But background checks would not have prevented just about 90% of these mass shootings. Nothing prevents, nothing prevents exactly. 100% of the time. But People you know are screaming, what do from something. From some Republicans on Capitol Hill, that if it does something, it's so, a good thing after what they saw in El Paso and Dayton. We've had 20,000 or so gun laws right now, all common sense gun laws on the books, none of which have prevented these because they're isolated. They're done by deranged people. And when you have good Americans, which is 99.99% who are gun owners. And 99.99% would pass those background checks down. Yeah. Alicia, what do you do with it? Precisely. What we have is a situation where thousands of people, thousands of people have been murdered at the hands of gun violence. And we're having a conversation right now where the president is literally caring more about the $54 million or so that the NRA spent on his campaign that he hopes that they're going to spend again for his reelection um, and getting into bed with them and hugging guns as opposed to hugging people. I think this entire conversation is really a testament to the character of this clown that's in the White House who literally does not care about lives and does not care about people and cares more about this quote-unquote advocacy, but this lobby that's frankly a lobby of death at this point. Specifically, I'm very curious, though, what changed? Because just days ago, we heard from Donald Trump that, uh, here's one quote, I think we can bring up background checks. Like, we've never had them before. I think Mitch McConnell's on board with them. I think we can do something about it. He's The president said that. How else are people supposed to see this other than he speaks with the NRA a bunch of times and... Now he's changed his position. Look, the landscape has not changed. The only thing that we've that, that this is the only thing that we've seen change. Well, the landscape in two thousand and nine. When no, no, the no, Dem- I'm talking about. I'm talking about right now. No, talk about right now. Stay it, here. Stay. Today, we're you talking know, about no, today. No, because you just said about. it's it's a death lobby and Republicans are gripping. When the Democrats that is inflammatory as well. There are yeah, a lot of people and when that the Democrats do- control. 
People say do something, do something that will work. We know this will not work. Let's go back to the question about the, all these would have passed their background Let's checks. Let's go back what to the question at hand, which is why the president is flip-flopping. The fact of the matter is that every time there's been a shooting, the president of the United States has claimed that, oh, yeah, background checks. Mind you, he came into office and essentially rescinded um, the, the background checks that Obama, the Obama administration had tried to move forward. But that would have again, put, that would have put more restrictions on people with mental illness. Right. He, he actually dialed that back okay. in exactly. Maybe, but that's why I'm asking right now: is if he's changing his position, why he's doing it instead of instead of talking about Chicago? No, that's what I want. Because know. it's all tied in. It's all tied in. If you have universal background checks, would 312 people not be dead in Chicago this year because gangbangers are going to look up on if you, Google where they should? One do a life gun. saving one life because a background check would keep someone from getting a gun. That that doesn't matter. If the argument NRA members or gun owners like me which I am an NRA member, but I don't make this argument because I'm an NRA member. I just am an NRA member just because there's somebody out there trying to fight for my gun rights. Make all the time. We have a billion fucking laws. Democrats don't enforce them. If you're black, it's racism that got you to have the 15 felony gun charges. So they release you. Or then you have this. Uh, Los San Francisco's induced new sanitized language for criminals, getting rid of words such as offender and addict while changing convicted felon to justice-involved person. The goal is to change people's views about those who commit crimes. Words like offender would be removed, while a convicted felon would henceforth be known as justice-involved person, a formerly incarcerated person, or a returning resident. Instead of saying, hey, this motherfucker was a goddamn gangbanger with a bunch of drugs, killed people, fucking shot motherfuckers, wasn't supposed to have a gun. No, 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 no. We need to police words because they're minorities. We don't police stuff. Then you have journalists investigates admit buying a gun more complicated than I expected. My journey to bring a gun home from Walmart was more complicated than I expected, and I was left with the impression that the company takes gun security and sales seriously. He tried twice, couldn't get the gun. Couldn't get it. Because guess what? As we said at nauseum on this show, folks... We fucking have background checks. Yes, the only place there's not background checks is private gun sales. If I sell one of my ARs to Matt in Oregon, I don't do a background check. But the less plan to address that is that when I go to sell this gun to Matt in Oregon, we got to pay a billion fucking dollars go through a billion hoops to get it done. And that's why nobody wants the law. But you can't go to a gun show and buy a gun from a dealer. They still do background checks. And yes, I'm sorry AR weapons are not serialized. 
But the requirement set forth by the federal government, approved by Democrats, is the lower receiver. So my lower lower receiver for both my ARs were background checked. Both of them. The bolt, barrel, and upple receiver group, butt stock, hand grips, none of that is background checked. It's just the freaking lower receiver. But even if you want to go to the next level, fine. All ammo purchases, background check. Who gives a fuck? Go ahead. Maybe then you'll shut the fuck up and let me have ammo. It's ridiculous that I have a thousand, no, I have fifteen hundred rounds of five five six in my home. Fifteen hundred rounds, just so that I know I can go target shooting whenever I want. Shouldn't have to be that way. But if you caught me with the 1,500 rounds, some liberals say, oh, he's a extremist, he's a veteran, so he's got to be a terrorist. No, I bought those rounds on specials online, which, by the way, for the one, they did do a background check, I'm pretty sure. The one was, I uh, can't remember the name of it. I had to fill out some paperwork. All I, that's all I know. I had to fill up some paperwork on an online form, and they sent me 500 rounds. Then I caught another one for 500 rounds. The rest were odds and ends I picked up when I was walking around in gun shops. But I had to do that because you make buying 5.56 tantamount to fucking buying depleted uranium up in this bitch. And all the while, as you're saying you want to take my guns, we have people online on CNN saying shit like this. But Patrick, the idea of whom he's picking, whom he's picking... There are a lot of Democrats who believe the kinds of things that these two do. They just don't look like them. (laughs) Chris, we're back to this identity politics. This is the worst kind of thing. You don't think that this is a play for himself? They picked themselves, Chris. The fact of the matter is these members of Congress have decided to stand up and speak out for the Democratic caucus. Nancy Pelosi can't even control these folks. This has nothing to do with the color of their skin. This has everything to do with the fact that they are supporting uh, terrorist organizations in Israel. Uh, but nobody even knew what the BDS was before we started hearing about all this stuff. We need to be very, very careful here. This is unfortunately Let's talk about, about politics. Terrorism. Politics is about elections. This isn't about Let's terrorism. Let's talk about terrorism. This is about Let's the talk fact about terrorism. That these you know who the four greatest women, terrorists are in particularly this country? these two, have taken over the Democratic Party, hijacked it from their own speaker. You think they've that taken it over, so Angela? Interesting. It's so interesting that you use the term for the two, the only two Muslim women in Congress. The term you chose to use, to do sir, with whether they're is Muslim hijacking. Or not, oh, really? Nothing you to chose do with that. to use absolutely the not. term hijacking. I beg to differ. And That's I right. I did because they hijacked the party from their own yeah, okay. principles. That's a from real interesting word choice, and you understand why. the Democratic Party. You can and talk that's one over of the me all you want to, but the bottom line Trump is the greatest the He's a lucky in guy. this country are white men. White men who think like you. That is <laughs> yes, the greatest terrorist you're right. threat in you're this country. You're absolutely right. It's all because of guys like me. That's silly rhetoric. It doesn't get no, us to where No, it's not. You know what's silly? The, the fact that you're on was, here knowing how dangerous times are right now, defending this nonsense, calling people these folks, what, what's talking silly? about Wait, they hold hijacked on. the party. Hold on one what's second. Not? Let's what's reset, silly, let's reset the table. Reset the table. 
Patrick, what do you think of that premise uh, that this is about the president using two people who he loves to make the face of the Democratic Party because it helps divide us and them? And that's what's motivating him going after them about Israel. Chris, I, I, I will tell you that uh, Donald Trump should go play the lottery. The fact that he has drawn these two women, these four women, the squad, if you will, and has been able to paint them as the progressive leftist left of the Democratic Party, the guy should play the lottery. Why? I mean, you can't get luckier than this. Why is because it lucky that they're Muslim election, and brown? Because, no, Chris, not, no, come on, not, not at all. This has to do with come the on. fact I mean, that's the only thing that, that seems the obvious to me. What's obvious? things that these folks stand for are not going to work in swing states in this country. It's precisely why Donald Trump will cruise again to maybe a very narrow election victory, but he's going to win. This stuff doesn't sell with most people outside of Manhattan, Los Angeles, mm. and parts right. of so New Patrick, York. So, Patrick, let's just, just take doesn't. a look at this stuff, and I'll bounce it to Angela. But just as a point of order here, in terms of wanting to posture himself as a way that shows an affinity to or an allegiance with and a protection of Jewish people or Jewish Americans, let's just put up on the screen what he hasn't talked about while he's been talking about Tlaib and Omar. He didn't mention the guy who tried to run down a bunch of Jewish people and hurt people over the weekend. He's downplayed the threat of white nationalism. He says not a big deal, even though those are the people going after Jewish people in this country most and doing the most murdering. And he backed off gun control, which is something that would be relevant if you are being hunted by haters like Jewish people are and others in this country. Everybody who's white's a terrorist. Really? Here's a, a photo surfaced showing mock assassination of President Trump at Dem lawmakers' fundraising event. And Illinois lawmakers apologized after photos of his fundraising event showed attendees simulating an assassination of President Donald Trump. Photos taken at a fundraising event for Illinois State Senator Martin Sandoval, D for Democrat, showed one attendee appointing a fake gun and another attendee wearing a Trump mask and traditional Mexican clothes. The person wearing the Trump mask is seen grasping his chest, implying that he'd been shot. Is that okay? Does that make me feel maybe I need a gun to defend myself if Democrats want to kill the President of the United States? Then with the Antifa, resign. Portland mayor blasted for oblivious photo of him and his wife. Hours after traffic blocking, violent rioting, and dozen arrests in Portland, city's mayor posted a photo of himself and his wife strolling peacefully in a market hand-in-hand using a caption, Sundays in Portland. However, are a lot different. The day before Mayor Ted Wheeler's post, Antifa activists targeted journalists and went after protesters on the Saturday. So I guess Sundays are peaceful. Then we find this out. Journalists, medics told me state police forced them to stop working on Heather Heyer. Well, Harris said her story was killed by her former employer and noted that she was unsure if the Heyer family was even informed of the report. In a series of tweets posted last week, journalist Mark Emily O'Hare said medics were forced by state police to stop working on Charlottesville counter-protester Heather Heyer. 32-year-old Heather Heyer died from blunt force injury from her chest after a neo-Nazi hit her with his car. The image Charlottesville, Virginia, Unite the Right Rally. According to O'Hare, the medics believe Heyer could have been saved if they were allowed to proceed with medical attention. The bombshell story, however, was barred from being published by her former 
employer. O'Hara said she was not allowed to publish it elsewhere. It's unclear from O'Hara was referring to as her former employer. Her work has been featured in outlets including MSDNC, NBC News, Daily Beast, Vice, Rolling Stones. Her tweets... The week Heather Heyer died, I had exclusive interviews with medics who said state police forced them to stop working on her after the crash, which they believe led to her death. The journalist posted to her Twitter on Monday. The piece was canceled by my employer at the time, but I'll never forget that what those medics told me. The week Heather Heyer died, I had an exclusive interview with medics, blah, 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 blah. When questioned by Twitter users why the story was canned, O'Hara responded, Honestly, I was very upset at the time. The segment was canceled because Jerry Lewis died that week, and the network decided to run tributes instead of news for that hour. It's unclear if Heather Heyer was ever informed of the report from O'Hara. She said, noting that the story was banned from being posted elsewhere. When O'Hara received pushback over the apparent controversial nature of her claims, she noted a blog post from one of the medics echoing her. It's not really so controversial if you poke around on Google for five minutes or so, you'll find the blog post. As a queer, non-binary anarchist, critical care RN street medic who was the first responder for Heather Heyer, initiating CPR and with a team of amazing bystanders facilitating resuscitation until EMS arrived, I feel compelling need to tell our story, the post reads. The first responder detailed events as follows. I was horrified to discover after two minutes of intense, exhausting chest compressions that a state trooper had forcibly removed the EMT assisting me in resuscitation as well as other bystanders ready in line for the next rounds of compression. The EMT told the state trooper that we were actively resuscitating a patient, but the state trooper physically removed him from scene anyway. I had to yell to other bystanders to come assist with compressions, and two people courageously responded despite the threats of the state troopers. The state trooper then began yelling at me to leave my patient. I initially thought that perhaps he intended to take over chest compressions and counted him and start the next round of compressions, but he stood by and said he could not do compressions. Why? I thought to myself. He continued yelling at me to leave, and I would not back down until I screamed that I'm a critical care nurse. I do CPR frequently. We have a patient without a pulse respiration. We will not stop. He then began screaming that I could stay, but the other bystanders assisting CPR had to leave, and he did not stop until a firefighter arrived and took over chest compressions. With so much interest in the story being told, I just wanted to let everybody know I've started reaching out to try and talk with the medics that worked on Heather Heyer right after crash to see if they were still interested in sharing the version of events. Please bear with me. I'm a now unemployed journalist with nowhere near the resources of a major news network, and it's been two years since I spoke to anyone. Isn't that newsworthy? See, the media went with, how do we hurt Trump? Not the fact that the guy who killed her was getting bricked. And that the state police said to stop. Why would they do that? My devious side says, because we need a martyr. And the state police work for the governor in those events. But we didn't cover that. No. Mm -mm. Then we have all the left-wing media that got attacked. And all of a sudden, people care. Matt Zarb Cousin. Journalists getting attacked the street because the left wing, the absolute state of what this country has become, going to point where mainstream political commentators apparently need bodyguards when they go out. Only mainstream political commentators and only on the left? Somebody asked. Tatiana McGrath. Our society was such more civilized when it was just right-wing journalists who were getting punched. Yeah. They believe that. 
And then we still have the media saying the Antifa were just peaceful protesters. Meanwhile, violent street confrontations in Portland, Oregon. 13 people arrested, six injured, when more than 1,000 right-wing demonstrators and counter-protesters descended upon the downtown area. Police say they were pelted with water bottles while making an arrest there. Officers also confiscated a number of weapons, including knives, shields, and stun guns. Saturday, right-wing extremists went head-to-head with left-wing anti-fascists in what has become a predictably ugly street duel. The conflict started when hundreds of right-wing protesters assembled for a rally on the city's waterfront. A show of force from some 700 police officers trying to keep the peace. This counter-protester says there's no place for it in Portland. It is not free speech, it is hate speech, and we as the people of this city are not going to take it. Most of the protesting has been peaceful, but we do see these flare-ups in the crowd right now. You see a crowd of counter-protesters in the middle is what appears to be a right-wing protester, and they are doing all they can to push him out. The president starting the day by labeling Antifa an organization of terror. We push them for a response to the protest. We would love to hear your side. There's no two sides. There's Nazi and not Nazi. And with one right-wing group threatening monthly protest, the mayor of Portland responding. I want to be very clear. We do not want him here in my city, period. The mayor is like every Democrat politician out there saying that everything's peaceful when they were not there. And of course, when I put this video footage online, we can leave it up to the blue checkmark SJW liberal Twitterverse to begin to accuse me. You doctored the footage. You lied. So then I actually put up uh, more footage with three angles, which it's hard to lie from three different angles, showing the true statement. And I'm still being accused of lying with fellow journalist Andy No about the events that took place. So they're denying the video evidence. And by the way, I ran right past Vice. I ran right past BBC, who were busy filming useless, peaceful demonstrations while the real news was taking place ahead. And that's what citizen journalism has become. It's actually because the mainstream outlets are ignoring the truth. And I'm watching violence. I recorded it. And the sad thing is, it's out (laughs) on the Internet. And still the left is saying it's a lie. Elijah, this is crazy, though. This they are denying reality. We just got through talking about the reality of the U.S. economy. Always warning signs on the horizon, but pretty good fundamentals. They ignore that. They ignore the, f- the, the violence in front of them because it doesn't fit their narrative. If the Proud Boys, you know, their far-right group, if they were running most of the violence, then they probably would cover it differently, correct? Or, or was the Proud Boy throwing hammers, too? Was that group throwing hammers? Yeah, you know, that's what's interesting. So the first violent altercation that I saw was a, a small citizen journalist. He was a Caucasian male. He was yeah. pretty heavy set, looked pretty docile in general, just walked up and started filming. And then they began to pepper spray him. And then they surrounded and blocked out the camera so they could begin to attack him. He was, I got that on footage. Uh, we yeah. have some major videos dropping on our YouTube channel tomorrow and Wednesday, uh, documenting the entire thing. But I watched as the, the right wingers, they gathered and they left. But the demonstrations continued for up to four hours after. After the right wingers left, if they wanted to fight the right wing, why didn't they disperse once they left? Instead, they stayed, destroyed their city, attacked property, and attacked standbyers. New York Times issues another pathetic Antifa whitewash binge on far right labeling. They blew it again after the New York Times' pathetic response to violent left wing protesters of Antifa assaulted conservative journalists and the NGO. The paper has been apparently learning nothing. Porter might. 
Mike Baker and Nicholas Bogle Burroughs accomplished more lousy reporting about Antifa on the latest clash in Portland for the Sunday paper. The clear labeling bias served as the radical violent left-wing protester group. Tensions rise as far-right and anti-fascist group faced off. The text box whitewashed the violent acts. A few could take confrontations, but no reporters of what no reporters of widespread violence. Nicholas Fondantaro, newsbuster, filled us in on the Times Mist. Throwing water bottles was arguably amongst the least of Antifa attacks. According to footage of their attacks, Antifa assaulted a bus. We already did it. Beside wash whitewashing of the black mass attackers. The labeling bias showed by Times was stark as the conservative protesters were given various appellations of right, far right, while the violent left-wingers, the identities hidden under masks, were given their preferred flattering description, anti-fascist. The anti-fascist group known as Antifa on Twitter and suggesting supporter for designation is as a terrorist organization. He did not mention any of the right-wing groups, although both they and Antifa have a history of using violence against their opponents. Times tried to smear two Republican senators with far-right sympathies. Many of the far-right demonstrators support a bill sponsored by Bill Cassidy of Louisiana and Ted Cruz of Texas, both Republicans, urging Congress to identify Antifa as terrorist group. Yeah. When a conservative writer was assaulted by black-clad protesters... Uh, well, this, I'm sorry. Officials and residents fear a melee like one in the city on June 29th when a conservative writer was assaulted by black cat clad protester. An oriental black guy is a conservative writer. Hmm. In here, right wing, far right, were affiliated with right wing groups. White House spokesman did not respond to an email seeking an explanation of Mr. Trump's tweet as well as why he chose to target Antifa and not others in the clashes. Far-right groups congregated at the south end of the park on Saturday morning. Some wore body armor and helmets, and at least one had a visible pocket knife and pepper spray. Yeah. Linda Sassauer, I am not trying to be Captain Obvious here. Antifa, anti-fascist, opposite of anti-fascist is fascist or pro-fascist. You're either anti-fascist or not. Simple as that. No. No, it's not that simple. Antifa are the fascist. Progressives are the fascist. From words, deeds, beliefs. You're the people policing what we can think and feel. It's not the other way around. Not at all. So while they're trying to take our guns and allowing fucking Antifa to be like the second coming of Jesus Christ and protecting them, they're also protecting the anti-Semites. Trump's religious test. That's my hardball. President Trump delivered a stunning message to Jewish voters today. If you vote for Democrats, you're stupid. Or, as he says it, disloyal. He didn't spell it exactly, but that's the extreme he's going to to fire up partisan division around Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Last week, the Michigan Democrat was banned from taking a trip to Israel before being granted permission to visit her grandmother on the West Bank. And after declining to make the trip, Tlaib delivered an emotional press conference yesterday criticizing Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and denouncing Israel's travel restrictions. Dual loyalty, craziness, religious tests. I mean, I've never heard. I mean, this sounds like Ed Koch in the bad old days of New York City with real tribal warfare of fire. Here's the president saying to Jewish voters who 
who vote about 70 percent generally Democrat, stop doing that because that would be disloyal to being what, Jewish? Well, it's a big story in the context of a president saying something that is that maybe unwittingly that is anti-Semitic. And yeah, but you're, I mean, but you're but, prime minister. But, you know, it's also this is the Trump presidency. So it's hard to gauge what's a big story because everybody has seen him make so many uh, stereotypical statements Seriously. that are offensive to a lot of groups. But I do think that it's clear what Michael's talking about. This is a guy who wants people to look at the Democratic Party and see these four uh, very progressive women of color. He wants people to see them. He wants them to see them as militant. Uh, he doesn't want them to see Joe Biden or some of the people running for president. AG conservatives starts us off. So the left had quite the week excusing anti-Semitism smearing Jews. This NBC MSDNC hit was another example of it. I'll go through the details of the thread that follows, but it's unfortunate so many people chose to add on to smear with attacks such as these. So what happened? Maddow did a segment where she claimed Trump's nominee to the Second Circuit was essentially a white supremacist. She based it on a law review article he wrote in 2010 that ethonationalism is consistent with the principles of liberal democracy. Maddow took several random quotes from the article insisted was essentially a highbrow argument for racial purity in the nation state. Clearly, she assumed, seemingly rightly, none of the, her viewers would read the article. The actual article from Menashe, whose family are Middle Eastern Jews, was a defense of Israel. Specifically, it was countering arguments that Israel's identify as a Jewish state is inconsistent with claims that it's a liberal democracy. Of course, Amato had identified that the central stated purpose of the paper was to argue about acceptance of a Jewish state. It would make the attempt to frame it as a defense of white nationalism look ridiculous, so she just left it out of the whole segment. Anyways, Menashe argues successful nations need to have some unifying purpose. Maddow only uses quotes that refer to race and ethnicity, but Neshi specifically says those are just a few of many potential things that can unite people, including a store, history, ge- geography, economics, etc. As you can see, the actual argument he is making doesn't even remotely resemble Maddow's portrayal, which is hardly a surprise. She does this all the time. Other people should know better. Ed Whelan has a good debunking of the smear in national and the national, of course, the national. I don't know what that is. I think it's National Review. The bigger problem is Maddow's segment was viewed by millions and then amplified by thousands of others. A few publications on the right and people like me could point out the truth, but millions will believe the smear. How does Menashe get his reputation back? Here is a summary from the actual Law Review article. It takes 15 seconds to read, then go ahead and compare it to the argument Maddow tried to portray. But of course, she can get away with it. All the papers do, because then you have this article from Arthur Schwartz, another anti-Semite exposed at the New York Times. Exclusive, crappy Jew year. New York Times editor, anti-Semitism, racism exposed. From Breibart. Tom Wright Persanti, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, who has been a senior staff editor of the New York Times for more than five years, according to this LinkedIn page, and according to his Twitter page, oversees the newspaper's political coverage, has made a series of anti-Semitic and racist tweets over the years. Many of them are still public on his Twitter page as of the publication of this article, but some have since been deleted. The revelation of these tweets come in the wake of the executive editor of the Times stating that newspaper intends to target the president's racial issues over the next couple of years if the newspaper's effort on the Russia hoax failed. One tweet that is still public is from early morning of New Year's Day 2010, when he admits he is anti-Semitic, 
but announced that his New Year's resolution was to be less anti-Semitic, even though the tweet's content mocks Jewish people. Interesting enough, Wright Persini deleted his anti-Semitic tweet as we were writing about it in the real time. Here's the tweet. January 1st, 2010. I was going to say crappy Jew year, but not one of my resolutions to be less anti-Semitic. So happy Jew year, you Jews. Other ones. Uh, I don't hate Mohawk Indians, though. I love those guys. I just hate Indians with Mohawks. Different Indians, different Mohawk. There are four Indian guys with Mohawks in one class, and each one is a douche in his own awful way. I hate Mohawk Indians. Yeah. But you, what the fuck? No wonder why we don't get coverage on the anti-Semitism of Omar and Tlaib and the whole fucking Democratic fucking cabal. All the reporters are fucking anti-Semites. Then Rashida Tlaib, pal around the cartoonist, sympathizes and apologist. She can share anti-Semitic cartoons. She can pull shameless political stunts to make Israel look like the enemy. But don't you dare call her an anti-Semite. If you do, you'll face the wrath of Rabbi Alana Alpert, who on behalf of something called Detroit Jew for Justice, is proud to have Tlaib back. We're not going to fall for Trump's distractions. Instead, we're going to keep on our momentum. Detroit Jews and our allies, Muslim community, communities of color, immigrants, and LGBT community, will always come together to support those like Tlaib who are dedicated to feeding Trump's agenda. She retweeted it. No intellectual honesty. That he's just a lib. There's numerous now. They're rolling out dozens of faux Jews who some of them are literally hard to even prove they are Jewish that are now doing these Twitter screeds about defending Omar and Tlaib. And then this week, while we're doing all this intersexual, intersectional bullshit, Did you hear this? Palestinian Authority cracks down on LGBT group. Ilian Omar responds by bashing Israel. Omar responded to the news that the PLO is cracking down on LGBT groups on Monday by once again condemning Israel. On Monday, the Jerusalem Post published a report on a Palestinian Authority cracking down on an LGBT grassroots group that operates in the West Bank and other Arab-Israel areas. Al-Quaz for Sexual and Gender Diversity in Palestine Society was planning to hold a gathering for members in Nabulus at the end of August, the Jerusalem Post reports. But the Palestinian Authority has now banned the group from carrying out any activities in Palestinian-controlled areas, and the police are threatening to arrest anyone involved. An explanation for why the group was barred from any activity in the area, Palestinian Authority police spokesman Louis Krasigat accused the group of engaging in activities that are harmful to the higher values and ideals of Palestinian society and cited dubious parties attempting to create discord and harm civic peace. The PA police will chase those behind the LGBT group and see to it that they are brought to trial once they are arrested, Sokrat warned. He further appealed to Palestinians to report to the police about any person connected to the group. A member of Al-Qa'as told Jerusalem Post that the group has experienced an unprecedented number of attacks since the PA police announcement. They are calling us traitors and corrupt people, and many are calling for our executions. 
We are afraid for our lives. What did Omar tweet? Pretending that this act somehow balances or mitigates Israel violating the dignity and rights of Palestinians or undermine case for defending Palestinian rights is deplorable. LGBTQ rights are human rights and we should condemn any effort to infringe upon them. But we should also condemn any effort to equate this with the occupation or use this as a distraction. Did the media get on her? Did the media say, why would you do that? Because these are LGBT rights. They're so important. They're so. But the New York Times had another person on today, or this week, and outright says what the media is doing. One of the huge stories this week was the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu decided to bar the entry of two Democratic members of Congress, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, from entering Israel, based on Trump's bullying him into that position. He reversed course. Now, that's a huge story, one that I wrote a column about. But another huge story, one that has not been covered by any mainstream paper or network, is the fact that their trip to Israel, or as they called it, Palestine, was being sponsored by a group that literally published neo-Nazi blood libels and said that it supported female suicide bombers, you know, hailing them as heroes. That's a scandal. If someone like Steve King was going to Sweden or Norway and meeting with neo-Nazi groups, that would be front page news. One of the questions I think we need to ask is, is the fact that Trump has, you know, lodged racist, horrible attacks on these women, has that made them sort of untouchable for us to cover in an accurate way? I think that's one of the problems of this moment, that it's very hard to cover sort of complicated characters and stories like them because the president, everything he touches becomes toxic. They don't cover it because they want these guys to keep dogging America and destroy America. The, the, the press is in with them that America is a horrible group. So instead of covering that she was defending the PLO from fucking, fucking with LGBT people, they gave her the mic. So I'm going to play two back-to-back. There's Omar, because they had a big press conference and all the media carried it, and a Jewish group calling her the fuck out. As many of you know, I had planned to travel to Israel and Palestine to hear from individuals on the ground about the conflict so that I could be more informed as a member of Congress and as a member on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Contrary to many media reports and the statements of the Israeli Prime Minister, I plan to meet directly with members of the Knesset and Israeli security along with Palestinian civil society groups, former IDF soldiers, Israel, Palestine, and international organizations, and United Nations officials. Leading up to the trip, I met with constituents holding a wide range of views on the conflict. All the activities on my trip had been done by members, had been done by members of Congress in the past, including a nearly identical trip few years ago, led by the very same Palestinian organization leading this trip. In addition to me and Rashida going on the trip, we were going to be joined by Stacy Plasquette from the Virgin Islands. The decision to ban me and my colleagues, 
the first, my colleague, the first two Muslim American women elected to Congress, is nothing less than an attempt by an ally of the United States to suppress our ability to do our jobs as elected officials. But this is not just about me. Netanyahu's decision to deny us entry might be unprecedented for members of Congress, but it is the policy of his government when it comes to Palestinians. This is the policy of his government when it comes to anyone who holds views that threaten the occupation, a policy that has been edged on and supported by Trump's administration. That's because the only way to preserve unjust policy is to suppress people's freedom of uh, expression, freedom of association, and freedom of movement. In this video, Ilhan Omar says some dumb stuff about Israel. Then, the delegation was going to receive a briefing on the Bedouin community in East Jerusalem. For decades, Bedouin homes have been bulldozed and communities have been uprooted in order to build settlements on Palestinian land. Over 200,000 Bedouin live in Israel. The overwhelming majority of them live in the Negev. And guess what? The Israeli government isn't bulldozing their homes. Instead, they're investing huge sums of money building housing and infrastructure for them. You'd think it's these Bedouin that she'd visit in cities like Rahat, but instead, she planned to visit Khan al-Akhmar, a tiny makeshift Bedouin village that was built illegally. And as it was built illegally, the Israeli government planned to relocate these 32 families five miles away and provide each of them with a package worth £100,000. Of all the world's problems, she planned to travel 7,000 miles for this? We then planned to visit Hebron, once a bustling economic hub. Settlement expansion has resulted in a two-tiered city, with Palestinians under military occupation. Israeli Jews can visit 3% of Hebron. They're banned from the remaining 97. Let that sink in. She talks of settlement expansion, but this 3% is a tiny enclave where the Jews have always lived. It would seem that Jews in 3% of Hebron is too much for Ilhan. She'd rather the whole place was Yudan Thrai. We plan to visit the separation wall around historic Bethlehem. Only 13% of Bethlehem is now accessible to Palestinian use. Wow! Let's actually have a look at Bethlehem then. This part is the bit that's accessible and controlled by Palestinians. It's pretty large. And this tiny little minuscule section is the bit that's controlled by Israel. And she wants you to believe that the Palestinians only have access to 13%? She's either breathtakingly ignorant or a pathological liar. You decide. This game is insane. How the media just keep defending these people. I mean, like I said, hashtag fake Jews. Trolls are creating bogus Twitter profiles to stir up hate against Jews in Israel. And they're all supporting Omar. All of them. And this week, Omar, Tlaib, they're all still blasting. We are going to cut aid because they won't let us go to Israel. We're going to cut aid. And when you call them, you try to call them out, you get attacked on the media because the media wants to support these anti-Semites. They want to cover that the left is all anti-Semite. They want to cover that the media is anti-Semite. 
All the while, while they're saying Trump and everybody who voted for Trump and anybody who owns a gun, we're all the racist. We're the racist. We're the sexist, the homophobes, the transphobes. We are all Nazis. But who's the real Nazi? This lorry just cracks me the fuck up. Just cracks me up. So we're going to end on that. We'll come into Planned Parenthood, some general bullshit and news social media nuggets. So here is Lowry getting clubbed for bringing up the facts. The real issue is an absolutely indefensible denial of basic human rights. What's that have to do with supporting terrorism? I mean, it, no, no one has any problem with harshly criticizing Israel. That's fine. But you don't support blowing up innocent people. That's just a, a, a bottom line uh, no, of, uh, something of, we all of course should agree not, on. The purpose behind f- focusing on this is to try to distract attention from the reality on the ground, which is funded by American would you, tax dollars. Our tax dollars this, blow up the homes of people who cannot get permits to build because they're non-citizens under military would law. Would this be your standard for white nationalist organizations? Oh, they just say, not, they say some Hanada, racist I, I, things. No, Hanada, they I'm support sorry, some sorry, terrorism. Sorry, with all due respect, that's okay. you have not been there me. and seen this on the ground. I've, I know no. Hanana Shrawi. She is nothing close to a white nationalist. She is someone seeking but so, freedom. But then, from why does the organization people? why does the organization publish things supporting terrorism? Rich, I disagree with violent resistance. No, but why, why but do they? It is because because a lot of Palestinians believe that because they are subject to daily violence of a system which denies them basic rights, they have the right to respond violently. I disagree with them. But an African-American who supported violence against the United States under slavery or Jim Crow, that did not excuse their denial of basic rights because I disagree with the tactic they were using to resist it. I mean, it's again, it's fine to harshly criticize Israel and the occupation, but I don't think anyone should be associated with a group that supports... Terrorism. And this isn't black or white. I mean, they publish this stuff. No one's many, forcing many them to publish Many, years ago, stuff. there were certain you, statements again, on their not... website. Hanan Ashrawi has devoted her life as a nonviolent activist to opposing an oppression which none of us doesn't do, which does not accord with the values that any of us believe in as Americans. So she doesn't control her own organization and what it publishes? Rich, why don't you try spending a little bit of time focusing on the fact that almost $4 billion of U.S. aid is used to put children you're in detention. One, you're, you're the one distracting right. from the issue. I'm asking you. No, no, no. You, this I'm is the issue. You're distracting from the issue because and a, National Review, just, shouting just, and just as National that, Review defended apartheid, and just as you defended segregation, you now defend Israel's oppression of Palestinian basic rights. I it's do, a tradition for you guys. Look, and if an organization supports terrorism, that organization should be on, be on the pale. And when I don't, Palestinians I don't see why protest non-violently, an when they protest non-violently, okay. right, so you, so you discredit saying, them as well. So you're saying that, in some sense, justifies terrorism? Of course it doesn't justify terrorism. I've said again and again I disagree with terrorism. What I'm saying is you're trying to distract from the real issue. The real issue is American complicity in the denial of basic Palestinians. Streets of Eden, the four winds blow. I've been living underneath the shadow of my father's soul.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Good evening. A lot of news to cover tonight, but we are going to begin with this. Women who count on Planned Parenthood and other organizations for health services may have to look elsewhere. Planned Parenthood announced today it will give up the federal funding it gets for those services under a program called Title X rather than comply with a new rule from the Trump administration. Planned Parenthood says the more than one and a half million women they serve could be affected. The rule pushed by religious conservatives prohibits clinics from referring women for abortions. Chief legal correspondent Jan Crawford leads off our reporting tonight. Calling the new Trump administration rule unethical and dangerous, Planned Parenthood said it had no choice but to withdraw from the federal program and turn down some $60 million a year because it is unwilling to counsel patients if it could not refer them for abortions. The rule is almost identical to one issued by the Reagan administration and upheld in 1991 by the Supreme Court. This uh, attempt by the by the Trump administration to enforce the gag rule is, is, is another coordinated attack on reproductive health care. Planned Parenthood acting president and CEO Alexis McGill-Johnson. The impact will mean that people may choose to forego care. They may choose to uh, delay their care until this is resolved. And that's what's unacceptable. It's unclear how many women would be affected. Planned Parenthood says it has served about 40% of the Title X patients. Jeannie Mancini, president of the March for Life, said Planned Parenthood was making a political choice. This is less about women's health and advocating for women in need, and it's more about advocating for more abortion. In a major setback for advocates of women's reproductive rights, Planned Parenthood is withdrawing from Title X, the federally funded program that helps largely underserved women get birth control, cancer, and STD screenings, along with many other critical health services. It's all because of a gag order imposed by the Trump administration banning clinics that get federal money from providing abortion counseling. Joyce, this is pretty dramatic and, and drastic because it affects the people least able to get other health care services, those who are served by Planned Parenthood. So what are the options now going to be to raise money privately to try to fill the gap for all this federal money from Title X? I think that that's the answer. They will no longer be able to go to the courts and ask them to protect women's reproductive rights. The answers uh, will largely be some combination of looking to people on Capitol Hill uh, and hoping that they can get some sort of a legislative fix to these administrative regulations and then relying on private donors to fill in that $60 million gap from the Title X funding. Elections have consequences. The program, Title X, is nearly 50 years old and pays for health services for poor women all over the nation. It's allowed Planned Parenthood to provide services to more than 1.5 million low-income women annually, including affordable contraception, cancer screenings, and other critical health services. The New York Times says the decision means Planned Parenthood could be losing out on about $60 million a year. Joining us now, the acting president and CEO of Planned Parenthood, Alexis McGill-Johnson. $60 million, what does that mean to those low-income women who depend on Planned Parenthood? 
What that means is that, you know, as your last guest uh, said over and over again, that Trump and the Trump administration are essentially bullies. They are forcing us out of a program by endorsing and enforcing this unethical gag rule. We are just not going to uh, engage in providing substandard care for low-income Americans. We but what happens to wrong. those women? What, what happens to those women who don't engage in politics but need health services? So, what it will mean will be longer lines. It will mean delays in care. It means they, they may not choose to uh, to get access to care. And that's exactly what the Trump administration wants. How do you make up for the money that uh, Planned Parenthood may lose? You don't fundraise your way out of basic health care service. This is something that should be the responsibility of the state to backfill, of the federal government to, to backfill, to ensure that we have access to basic things like contraception, like STI uh, testing and treatment, like cancer screenings. These are things that, um, you know, without can actually lead to a public health crisis. It's actually a war on people. It's a war on Americans because reproductive rights is about freedom. And everyone who is pregnant definitely had a guy involved somehow in some capacity. Um, and so men also benefit from reproductive rights and reproductive justice. They benefit from uh, the Planned Parenthood clinics that are going to be shutting down or not going to be able to uh, give uh, STI screenings, cancer screenings. Those are things that are very important for all Americans. It's also a war on poor people. 75% of clinics, Planned Parenthood clinics, uh, not 75% of the clinics, 75% of the people who use the clinics are people who are either on the poverty line or below the poverty line. And so it comes back to our entire conversation. They want us to make it about identity. They want us to make it about feminism about and scare away those voters. It's not about that. It's about poor people in this country, many of them who are voting for Donald Trump, who are voting against their best interests. And so, Brittany, I wonder if you could, as we say around here, bring it all home for us. <laughs> uh, because as Liz says... Um, these are constitutional rights, these are gender issues, there, there is a feminist component. Yeah. But there's also the facts that this is an administration that over just the past few months has taken this rule which targets, as you say, many people who benefit from these services, but also disproportionately the poor. They're going after SNAP food assistance, they're going after school lunches. Yes. Uh, we did a report on this show, some viewers may remember. The majority of school lunch recipients happen to be poor white Americans in rural areas. Yes. Of course, the question of whether we want a government that provides food to hungry 10-year-olds, regardless of where they live, is the question. And these stories sometimes get pushed aside by all of the noise. That's right. There is no moral compass on the right right now. Trump is no beacon of anything but darkness. And part of what he is doing um, is using the law and weaponizing it against the poor, against women, against people who can get pregnant, against people of color. And the thing we have to remember is that all these forms of tribalism and division, they go together. You don't get a racist president without also getting a president who is deeply sexist. And that actually is a moral call to women. Most white women voters voted for Donald Trump in the last election. Now they are dealing with the consequences of having this man assault their rights. And as a byproduct of that, you see trans people who also need reproductive care yeah. services. Services, the only clinic that provides abortion services in Montgomery, Alabama. There used to be three, and now this is the only one left. So much has changed within the three years. From the time I first put that vest on, a lot has changed. One of the things that I realized that has changed 
is the protesters' um, outrage. Ma'am, this morning, please. I want you to know we're Christians here and we love you and we want to help. They would yell obscenities at women, such as telling them that, you know, God will have the last say-so. You don't have the last say-so over your body. Even though abortion is still legal in all 50 states, women who come here to receive their service still feel like they're doing something illegal. They're about to rip this baby into shreds. Just coming out from my car, I needed escorts to guide me because they started yelling things at me, the protesters that were outside. It makes you feel like you're doing something illegal, even though it's not that yet. But the restrictions and the protesters and the things that they scream at you make you feel that way. You'll shake yourself today and trust the Lord. It's better for you just to be in the kitchen and other things to degrade women. I understood that that was just the way that the protesters thought, and they also think that they're doing the will of God by harassing slash stalking women, which we all know that Jesus would disapprove of that. So the title X is just gone full volcanic, we want to kill babies. They tweeted it, then Variety to forego annual Emmy party for donations to Planned Parenthood. Somebody says, good. They don't need tax dollars. Salon. The reason Republicans keep trying to take birth control away from women is simple. They think birth control is bad and you should be able to get it. Yet, in that article, and it was like three of them this week, there's no proof that Republicans are trying to get birth control from any fucking buddy. Nobody. Nobody's trying to take birth control. Teen Vogue gets kitties concerned about Planned Parenthood Title X. Whole article, I'm not going to read it. We've read a million of these. They just keep doing it. Vanity Fair decries dark Trumpian future of abortion in America. Republican politics returning America to pass where only the wealthy have access to safe, legal abortion, bemoaned lefty rag Vanity Fair on Wednesday. Author Caitlin Moschello touted VIP abortions at private clinics and med spas that have ritzy waiting rooms with glass chandeliers for those who want to care that's quick, private, and exclusive. <sighs> Sorry. Often for celebrities, public figures, etc., where they pay $10,000. Monskello had two minds about VIP abortion. She likes the fact that concierge services for abortion puts what is too often seen as taboo area of medicine rightfully in the mainstream. On the other hand, the stark contrast between what's available to wealthy women versus low income can be unnerving. Conservative women with means are able to circumvent system they very well may have put in place. Yes, conservative women. They all did it. Yeah. To emphasize this, Monteskella wrote of the owner of an Eastside Gynecology in New York City, which commits 4,200 abortions a year, receiving a call from a woman from Georgia that felt the need to remark, it's impossible to know her political views, the office didn't ask, but it's also impossible not to wonder if she's among the 70% of white women who have cast their ballots for Kemp over pro-choice Stacey Abrams. Then Alyssa Milano. If I hadn't opted for two abortions in 1993, my life would be completely different. It was my choice. It was absolutely the right choice for me. Yeah. You're, I'm not reading it. You're, you're just, uh. 
Milano added that her reasons for having an abortion are real and as if other women, such decisions are ours and they none of your fucking business. Really? Really? Okay. Shout out to your abortion, you fucking piece of shit. Then we got the Daily Beast this week. Hong Kongers fight for democracy. Algerians fight for democracy. Sunnis fight for democracy. Russians fight for democracy. What does America fight for? I would say abortion rights, supposedly, because they're being taken away. I don't know how they're being taken away. Nobody stopped abortion. All they've said is you can't have abortion in the third trimester. People have responded, we won the bulk of the fight centuries ago. Now we fight each other to maintain a democratic republic instead of the flavor of the day. We fight over who is most aggrieved because victims are the new heroes in this declining society, Harold Sicklin said. Right now it's free speech against would-be digital tyrants and self-defense against radical left terrorist groups, which is so right. Let's go into our regular lefty stuff. Rap and hoe. My parents need therapy. It's a fucking joke. Because they watch Fox and voted for Trump. Her 15 minutes are up, but people are still bringing her out. Just to say, all you other people are fucked up. Then we have Omega, white feminist dad. I say fuck you to mega hat wearers. They're racist. Black commentator says nothing, just shows a picture. Last Thursday, a self-described feminist dad, I don't know what that is, and gun sense reform advocate who happens to be white posted an incendiary tweet in which he said he would, well, I'll just read it. If you wear a mega cap in public, I will definitely say fuck Trump and fuck you. I'm done with racist, xenophobic, homophobic, misogynistic, bigoted hate mongers. The planet is on fire and we don't have time to deal with your shit. Well, We covered this on the last podcast. We didn't cover the reply. Anthony Brian Logan. We're racist. An entire black family with mega hats. And I thought it was perfect. Yeah. Okay, buddy. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm uh, just... the, the, The left and their craziness just knows no bounds. Dolphins owner removed from NFL Social Justice Committee... After hosting Trump fundraiser, the left made him go away. Sean Spicer's going to be on the next season of Dancing with the Stars. So there's that. And Brian Seltzer, because he's a journalist. I did air quotes. Oh, he lost his mind over this. Yeah, so Spicer's basically saying that he's hoping to show a different side of him on Dancing with the Stars uh, this season that people may have not seen as press secretary. Um, And so I guess we're going to have to stay tuned and and see what happens. Well, we have not seen him dance as press secretary. I don't believe. I don't believe anyway, (laughs) Brian Stelter. You can fact check me there. But, I mean, let's be fair here because Spicer and Sanders, it's not like they're the only ex-White House officials to land TV jobs after leaving office. That's that's. You, that's not unusual, right? They have been probably the most visible. Is that why we're seeing so much backlash, you think, Yeah, Brian? you know, 
ABC has George Stephanopoulos, who was uh, at the White House, of course, during the Clinton years. There's many examples of this. The difference, of course, is the Trump White House's uh, record of, of misleading the public. All administrations spin. This administration lies consistently, whether it's Sanders or Spicer or other White House aides. And it's all led from the top by a president who lies even about the weather and the time of day. That, I think, is why this does deserve outrage and backlash. Obviously, Sanders going to Fox is not surprising. Uh, there's been a revolving door between Fox and the Trump White House for several years. But it should still be surprising that somebody who misled the public and defended a man who calls the press the enemy uh, would land these kinds of jobs. Let me just say, though, Spicer, you know, he's not at the top of his career right now. You don't go to Dancing with the Stars when you're at your peak. As one source said to me, it's more like dancing with the down and out. This is the kind of job you take when you might not have many other options. But hey, maybe he's got an incredible dancing talent that we don't know about. I guess we'll find out, Brianna. <laughs> So fucking petty. They're just so pecket petty. Tom Bergeron wrote a statement saying, hey, we wanted to go in a different direction. What's the big fucking deal? Uh, it's because the left is intolerant. They're just intolerant. Other things for Democrats. New report find Google bias helped Hillary. Hillary fact checker weighs in. President turned the table. Hillary Clinton stole the election routine on Monday in a post signing a report on how alleged bias in Google searches may have impacted the 2016 election. We've talked about it. It's about 16 votes. Google manipulated 2.6 million to 16 votes during the last election. Everybody attacked Clinton back because it's true. It happened. It just happened. They, they manipulated the election. We then have another Google article, Social Credit System. Um, and within it, they're just basically showing abortion's barbaric, abortion's wrong, abortion's murdering, abortion is crime. Those are another one that you get banned from fucking saying in any articles, and they suppress it. That's synapsing like a 30-page article, but it's more of the same. Then a new study came out. Cable news is a playground for congressional Democrats. Did we ever think that wasn't the case? Well, we did a study to find out. Congress may be almost evenly divided these days, but not on the liberal cable news networks. A new study by the Media Research Center finds that CNN and MSDNC hosts Democratic representatives and senators seven times more frequently than their Republican counterparts, and most often use Democratic talking points to question members of both parties. MRC's analysis examined every broadcast from 6 a.m. Eastern to midnight Eastern on CNN and MSDNC during three randomly selected weeks when Congress was in session, January 7th to the 11th, March 25th to 29th, and June 10th to the 14th, amounting to 540 hours of programming. Each network conducted virtually the same number of interviews with sitting members of Congress, 159 on MSDNC and 165 on CNN. Analysts found an overwhelming partisan bias on MSDNC, where congressional Democrats were interviewed 13 times more often than GOP during the same weeks. On CNN, the ratio was still widely imbalanced, 4 to 1. Note, interviews with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Angus King from Maine, both independents who caucused the Dems, were included in the Democratic total. Despite the current Republican majority in Senate, Democrats accounted for 90%, or excuse me, 87% out of the total 103 interviews with Senators, while Republican Senators received just 10%. The split was virtually identical among members of the House, 199 were Democrat, or 30 were Republican. The presidential race was not the reason for the skewed results, since the congressional Democrats running for the 2020 nomination comprised only a small slice of the interviews. Um, 
CNN, okay, so Democrats interview on CNN, 7%, and 19 out of 148 on MSDNC. This is usually disparity, which means less if the networks conducted equally tough interviews with each side. But that's not what our team found. When Republicans were interviewed, they routinely faced adversarial questions that reflected a Democratic agenda and the Democratic talking points. Um, these could involve arguments on various policy issues, political confrontations, as per, per, partial government shutdown, or the various investigations of the president's. Republican guests faced a total of 310 questions, just over half of which, 156 or 50%, could be classified as reflecting the agenda of one party or the other. Of those, 152 reflected an adversarial Democratic agenda, compared to a mere 2.5% for questions based on friendly or Republican agenda. For Democrats, the train was far more hospitable. Of 660 questions identified as having a partisan tilt, 535 were based on the friendly Democratic agenda, while the remaining 125 asked the Democrats to respond to an adversarial Republican agenda. Examples. The president has largely dismissed concern about the federal worker not receiving their paychecks. He insists he could only relate to these, their situation. Did you believe President Trump understands the financial hardship these Americans and their families are about to go through? That was Wolf Blitzer asking a Republican. As a Republican on the Judiciary Committee, who does not, watch impe- does not want impeachment, but is looking at a report for the special counsel that says there are 10 potential instances here of obstruction of justice involving the president? If you don't want impeachment and you are on the Judiciary Committee, what do you do? That was Steve Kornacki to a Republican. Example of Democratic Agenda. If this president declares a national emergency and grabs 4 or $5 billion from the defense budget and throws it from the wall, is that an article of impeachment? Is that a high crime? That was Matthews to Chris Solwell. And then Allison Camerata to a Democrat. I think that so many people would say, well, that what's wrong with adding a citizenship question to the census? Don't we want to know how many people are here in the country? But then you have tried to talk about the backstory to to who concerted this plan and how this plan can be and that it may not quite be what it appears to be. So quickly, can you remind the people of how it's linked to the architect of gerrymandering? (laughs) Example of Republican agenda posed to Democrats. This is Stephanie Rule. But Congresswoman, not all of those illegal immigrants are people we're going to let in. Just because they're fleeing violence doesn't mean that our borders are open. We have to have secure borders. Another one. You said earlier that, quote, there is evidence of collusion, no question. Do you stand by that claim? Because it sure seems like Robert Mullen's conclusion is very different. That was Anderson Cooper. Example of a Republican agenda question posed to Republicans. The rules don't work, right? You can you can come in illegally, you can come in illegally, and you can catch me, I'll say I want asylum and jump the line. Effectively, you guys have to change that rule. Chris Cuomo. And it goes on. I'm not going to waste your time. It is what we always know it to be. Always. They will do whatever they can to cover for Democrats. Point of fact. Elizabeth Warren. Well, Tony, this is a first-of-its-kind event focused exclusively on Native American issues. As you said, over the next two days, Native American leaders will quiz the candidates on issues of concern to Native communities. Eight of the 23 Democratic presidential candidates will be here, and the one to watch especially is Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. You'll remember she faced backlash last year for releasing a DNA test revealing that she has a very small trace of Native American ancestry. 
Polls show she's now in second place here in Iowa, and voters and Native American activists we've spoken to say that DNA flap is much ado about nothing, even though, of course, the president occasionally makes light of it. And confronting a sore subject as Elizabeth Warren continues to rise in the polls, she's joining a few of her Democratic rivals at an event geared toward Native American voters that's happening this hour. Are voters ready to forget the controversy over her DNA test and heritage? Right now, she's surging. She's known as the candidate with a plan for that. But if you look at how her campaign began, it was really this issue, the DNA test dust-up, if you will, that marred the early weeks of her candidacy and sort of allowed people to question, would she be able to go head-to-head with Donald Trump? And has she sufficiently spoken to this issue? As Joe Biden continues to climb in CNN's new 2020 polling, one candidate is seeing a sizable decrease in support. California Senator Kamala Harris slipped 12 points from a similar poll back in June when she had that standout debate performance against the former vice president. Now, I know it is early uh, and there is certainly a lot of time for these numbers to change. But for a candidate who was initially shaping up to be one of Biden's biggest challengers, that decline sends a message. So let's start there with CNN chief political analyst Gloria Borger. Good to see you, Gloria. See you, um, why, what do you make of this slip uh, on Senator Harris's numbers? Why? Well, I think, first of all, she was kind of like this souffle that mm-hmm. rose uh, after she took on Joe Biden uh, during that first debate. And she did really well. And people said, wait a minute, I'm going to give her another look. And what happens when you get a second look uh, is you go under a magnifying glass and you either continue to rise or you plateau or deflate, not to carry the souffle metaphor too far. And I think that (laughs) what's happening with her is effectively people are saying, wait a minute, how about describing uh, your record on crime when Mm -hmm. you were a prosecutor in California? You were tough on crime, not a bad thing. But um, now you're saying that, well, Joe Biden was uh, too tough on crime. So are you a bit of a hypocrite there? So I think that she really has not been able to take advantage of that initial gain that she made. It's early, as you point out. So we'll see what happens. If I said it a thousand times, here's a thousand and one. How in the fuck of Seuss's ass crack? Can she still be running for president? The moderator at a Native American forum was shocked on Monday after Democratic presidential candidate Warren received very little enthusiasm about her potential election. Warren participated in the presidential forum on Native American issues in Sioux City, Iowa, where she apologized for the harm she caused for her past claims. The Native American ancestry. It's a wonderful day, and Native Americans across the country should celebrate today. We're sharing the stage with a future president, perhaps. Moderator, moderator said. MJ Lee, Warren has personally sought advice from Native American friends on tribal issues responding to racist attacks, her ancestry. Cheryl Andrew Maltis, chairwoman of the Wampanga tribe, tells me she told her, I have your back on this one. Swing back. Jennifer Bendry, meanwhile, as Democratic presidential candidates speak in a Native American forum, the RNC is all in on fueling racism against Native Americans. Focahontas. How is that racism against Native Americans? She's a fake Native American. Fohanas, she's fake. They've still not reconciled that. Ever. T. Beckett Adams. 
Love how making fun of Senator Warren claiming Cherokee heritage, which is anywhere between 164th and one and 1,024th Native American, according to DNA tests she commissioned and released, is framed here as a racist attack. How more will they go to the left to protect him? Marion Williams, the issue, plan for the U.S. Department of Peace. There was no outrage on this craziness. Bernie Sanders. Trump immigration agenda is cruel, racist, a state on the nation. Any America cannot be locking up families, including children, at the border indefinitely. We need to fundamentally overhaul our immigration system to treat those seeking asylum, humanity, and dignity. When we are in the White House on day one, I'll undo everything Trump has done to demonize and harm immigrants. Nobody out there. Hey, 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 uh. What the fuck, Chuck? What about when Obama did it? Or Tom Baer? I agree, we need an overhaul. How long have you been in office? What's taking so long? We've had presidents on both sides of the aisle, and nobody's fixed it. AOC. Nobody talked to me about this. Instagram Live Story on Monday, mocking United States voting system, once again called for appealing the Electoral College. And as they keep doing all this shit, trying to get elected, there's no reports on this. Workers exposed to trash and bodily fluids at L.A. City Hall building. Citation issued in response to typhus at the health department. L.A. Deputy City Attorney says she contracted flea-borne disease at her office because of all the illegal shit. In Sacramento... Homeless triggers Sacramento salon owner to leave. She makes vile, viral video targeting Newsom, saying, "This is your. Sp- I couldn't run a business anymore. I could not run a business. It was impossible because the place was so fucking nasty." Nobody's running with this. Economists say Dem student debt proposal would hurt U.S. economy. It would bankrupt it. Nobody reported about this. Scott Walker, if anyone tells you that Eric Holder is fighting against gerrymandering for fair maps, just look at the form his organization filed with the IRS. The truth, their mission is to favorably position Democrats for the redistricting process. His response, as opposed to what you hypocrite favorably positioned Democrats in the logistic process in order to fight the kind of un-American things you did to make Wisconsin the most gerrymandered state in the country. And if we don't fight, you'll do it again. Not this time, Scotty. Scott Walker said, oh, it's just another Fast and Furious. Eric. Nobody reported this. TMZ. Barack and Michelle Obama buying Mega Mansion and Martha Vineyard. $14 million property. Adam Ford, when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. At a certain point, you made enough money. 2019, I'll take the $15 million Mar- Martha Vineyard Mansion on 29 beachfront acres. You did not build that. Then Bernie Sanders again. Fossil fuel executives should be criminally prosecuted for the destruction they have knowingly caused the planet. So, not only do they want to prosecute you for owning guns, they want to prosecute the people who pump oil. Really. And then we had a huge CIA breakout that I'm going to push to the next podcast. That wasn't reported. But 
also not reported. Gay conservatives getting bashed. Zach Ford. Gay conservatives are annoying enough, but gay conservatives who get haunty about being on the wrong side of LGBTQ process are the absolute worst. They're either evil enough to know the harm they're doing or ignorant enough to not see how they're being used or both. Kayla Elizabeth. If you like to touch parts that look like your parts, it's against the rules to vote differently than Zach. It's in the Constitution. And then there was actually airtime on MSDNC attacking a gay conservative. And that will take us out to Music Break News Social Media Nuggets. Now, from the Log Cabin Republicans, National Spokesperson Charles Moran. Charles, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Your response to Jennifer Horn. Uh, Jennifer is a friend, and we've served this term on the board together. Um, and until 48 hours ago, we were both board members. Uh, Jennifer comes from a place of, of kindness, and I believe that she has the best intentions for the organization. But our, our organization is a grassroots group. Uh, we have chapters over 50 in over 31 different states. And our chapters almost unanimously voted to endorse Donald Trump for president for the re-elect and wanted to do so early. President Trump uh, and, and Ronald Reagan kind of share the one of the same tenets is 80% our friend is not 20% our enemy. And while we don't agree with President Trump on every issue and we're not in total lockstep, we do believe that when presented the choice, Donald Trump has been an overall benefit for the LGBT community and has followed through on his promises to mitigate some of the, the culture wars that we experienced in the 2000s. Well, let's talk about some of that mm-hmm. because you lay out some reasons your group does of why you endorsed, including that President Trump is committed to end the spread of HIV AIDS in 10 years, that initiative led by Ambassador Rick Grinnell to end the criminalization of homosexuality. Those are the most specific LGBTQ measures that you point to. Others are sort of more general about his tax cuts, helping families, opportunity zones, etc. But by endorsing President Trump, you're endorsing a number of other policies as well. Like, for example, the Labor Department just last week proposing a rule that would make it easier for government contractors to discriminate against LGBTQ employees. Transgender workers not protected by a civil rights law is the argument the DOJ is making. You're endorsing that U.S. embassies shouldn't fly the pride flag, pride flag rather, that HHS can scrap this Obama policy that stops healthcare providers from discriminating against transgender patients. The list goes on. You can see the headlines there. How are you comfortable with that? Well, some of those some of those issues are just either not true or are taken out of a context in a way that that doesn't fully show what. Let's the rule put the context are. aside, because there are advocates who are concerned that this administration has done <laughs> more, much more, to roll back protections for LGBTQ. Americans than he has to protect them. I, was I understand you're making of, the opposite argument. I was, argument, I was but standing I know why. in front of the Berlin Embassy three weeks ago with a pride flag raised. I mean, once again, these are controversies that don't exist. They are things that the that, that the left wing is using to try to force a wedge between the LGBT community and the Republican Party. And what this does is our endorsement is providing a block on that false narrative that the Democrats continue to to promulgate, which is if you're gay, you have to be a Democrat because Republicans. Republicans don't like you. So and that's not, that's just patently not true. And, and, Let me put it, and Donald Trump has a history and his philanthropic and his business background of being supportive of LGBT equality issues and now having since been president has appointed high level people to the government who are LGBT inclusive. He was the first president elected that supports marriage equality. And as I mentioned before, we're not at 100 percent. I don't think anybody would be 100 percent with any other person other than themselves. And we take issue and we've, ste- we've stepped forward and issued press releases and talked about t- 
times when we don't necessarily agree with the president or the administration on policy issues. But when it comes time to actually looking at the, the, the differences and the qualitative impacts on the average LGBT person throughout this country, Donald Trump has been a net positive. More dollars in the pocket, a robust foreign policy that is protecting uh, us from having jobs offshore, more investment in small businesses that is letting LGBT businesses flourish. These are all things that impact the vast majority of gays and lesbians in this country positively. Shouldn't the bar be higher? Uh, once again, the bar is higher. Donald Trump was the first person elected president that ever supported marriage equality. The GOP the still does not as there, a platform. There that is, is, that is a platform, platform issue. No, the, and, and, and that's why log cabin Republicans has such an important voice in this, because we can go to the RNC and we can go to the convention in Charlotte next year knowing that we have a strong relationship with President Trump, that he supports equality issues, and that we can take that to try to advance some of these things to get the rest of the party up to speed with an, an occlusive agenda that's going to be part of a necessary victory uh, uh, equation. Your organization also come under fire, though, from former members, people who used to be log cabin Republicans, mm -hmm. including one woman who writes on Facebook that essentially what is left behind now is what she describes as a sad remnant that increasingly fulfills the stereotypes that used to be flung at log cabin Republicans, overwhelmingly gay men who are indifferent to the experiences of women, transgender Americans, or LGBT people who lack the financial or social resources to protect them from the discrimination they so often receive. Well, are you doing enough to protect specifically transgender Americans, given what this president and this administration has done to roll back those protections? There are a lot of different interest groups that represent the LGBT community here in Washington, D.C., and out throughout the rest of the the country. These organizations have given up their right, their role and responsibility to advocate on behalf of the LGBTQ community and for our issues because they've just decided to be partisan Democrats instead of LGBT advocates first. Let me ask and you this. There, there was an open Je door in the White House when President Trump was first allowed, when he was first sworn in with a lot of these different departments to engage and to think differently because Donald Trump has rewritten the playbook on the typical Republican candidate and the typical Republican race. And that's inarguable. And these organizations who are supposed to be advocating on behalf of children, on advocating on behalf of trans people, advocating on the behalf of LGBT immigrants, decided instead of engaging to try to create better policy, that they've just decided to resist and they're going to close that door and not have any kind of communication because they're going to be partisan Democrats before they're going to be LGBT. It's something advocates. you obviously feel passionately about. So do people on the other side of the issue. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Horn said some of those people actually exist in the organization that more resignations could come. I'm almost out of time, but quickly, if there are more resignations, is there any circumstance under which you would consider the, reconsider the endorsement that you've made? Our chapters overwhelmingly, almost unanimously voted to re-endorse President Trump. We're no, most likely not going to be uh, reconsidering that endorsement. Charles Morant, thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you.
Show me what I'm working with now, baby. I wanna see you shed your skin. Once it's underway, may the best man win. And I hope that you surprise me. Back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military coroner, two Green Berets killed in Afghanistan, identified. The Army has identified two special forces soldiers killed in Afghanistan on Wednesday as the casualties in the country hit the highest level in five years. Master Sergeant Louis F. DeLon Fergara, 31, and Master Sergeant Jose J. Gonzalez, 35, were killed during combat operations in Farab province, located in the far northwest of Afghanistan along the Turkmenistan border. Both soldiers assigned special 7th Special Forces Group at Eglund Air Force Base, Florida. They were both posthumously promoted 
to Master Sergeant. Um, it goes in line with U.S. combat deaths in Afghanistan hit highest level in five years. The death of two more U.S. military personnel in Afghanistan on Wednesday brings to 14 the number of Americans killed in combat there this year. The highest annual combat death toll since 2014 and with more with four more months left. The Pentagon has yet to release the details of the deaths. I just did. The 14 combat deaths this year compare to 13 in 2018, 11 in 2017, 9 in 2016, 11 in 2015, 40 were killed in 2014. It's a lot of people, and it just keeps happening, and it's really, really sad. Um, teenager honors her fallen father with senior photos. Julia Ilesekas was just seven years old when her father, Army Captain Robert Ilesekas, succumbed to injuries sustained in an IED blast in Afghanistan in 2008. Now a high school senior... Julia honored her father's memory by taking angel photos for a senior portrait, as reported by KOLN TV station in Lincoln, Nebraska. Susan Beckham, owner of Snapshot by Suze, created the photos as a special gift for the family. She said on Facebook, having been taking pictures of Julia since she was nine, and I thought it would be a great idea to do these angel pictures for her as a special gift for her big milestone and to her family. Beckham wrote, I am an active duty National Guard wife, which is what inspired the idea of the vision. And it's very beautiful. Very beautiful. Illinois Street pays tribute to Marine Corporal killed in Afghanistan. The mother fallen Marine got her wish Saturday when the city of Elgin, Illinois, honored her son, Corporal Alex Martinez, with an honorary street designation in front of their South Melrose Avenue home. I'm very happy, the mom said. Holding her hand to her chest, I feel so emotional that something was done for my son. Now I can look at the sign every day. Corporal Martinez, family, friends, neighbors, and fellow veterans gathered for a brief ceremony in the 200 block of South Melrose Avenue to unveil the street sign in his honor. Fantastic. Amy Lutz gives us our next story. This is wonderful news for our veterans. President, President Donald Trump has signed an executive order that will automatically wipe out all student debt owned by more than 20,000 permanently disabled veterans. The memo Trump signed directs the government to develop an expedited process so veterans can have their federal student loan debt discharged. Currently, just half of the roughly 50,000 disabled veterans who are qualified to have their federal student loan forgiven have received the benefit because of a burdensome application process. Under the current process, disabled vets can have their debt forgiven under a loan forgiveness program called Total and Permanent Disability Discharge, or TPD, as long as they have a VA service-connected disability rating of 100%. As of July, however, only about 20% of the limited eligible pool have done it because all the fucking red tape, and now they're going to speed it up. Good for him. Blue Angel Jets made contact midair during tight Diamond 360 maneuver. Navy's elite Blue Angel pilots broke out of formation Wednesday and landed immediately after two of their jets touched while practicing a maneuver that puts them extremely close. Jets number one and three made contact Wednesday while training at their home base at Pensacola, Florida, which I watch and talk about on the show at nauseum. And I will again because I'm going September 29th to the 3rd, and I'll be watching. 
A spokesman for Chief Naval Training, the team's parent command, stated they were practicing a Diamond 360 maneuver at the time of preparation for the week's Chicago Air Water Show. And the maneuver, Blue Angel Jet 1, and leads a pack of four who fly closely in diamond shape. There was no injuries as a result of the incident. The initial inspection of the F-18 found no damage. But, while this was happening, four Super Hornets damaged in carrier landing gone wrong. While attempting to land the aircraft carrier Abraham Lincoln in the Arabian Sea earlier this month, an E-2D Hawkeye propeller aircraft struck two F-18 Super Hornet aircraft and sent debris flying into two other F-18s on the deck. The carrier-capable tactical airborne early warning aircraft was recovering, landing, at 7.40 p.m. August 9th when it impacted two other aircraft and caused debris impact damage to two additional aircraft. Josh Frey, spokesman for the U.S. 5th Fleet, told Military.com on Tuesday via email the landing aircraft was diverted and arrived safely at the divert location. No personnel were injured, but the aircrafts are fucked up. Hmm. That's not good. And then two stories back-to-back that just inspired me to go, good on ya. Man gets first haircut in 15 years in order to enlist in the Army. Before he could ship out, he needed to get his shape up. Ronaldo Arroya, 23, received his first haircut in 15 years. Listen in the Army. Homie had long-ass hair, and now he looks more human. I'm going to tell you. Good-looking young man once he got a haircut. Then another one. Teen sheds 113 pounds to become his first member of his family to join the military. Less than a year ago, Luis Enrique Pinto Jr. was 317 pounds and couldn't pass the Army weight requirements. But after shedding 113 pounds in seven months... Pinto is heading to basic training. He breezed through the Army's occupational physical assessment test, given to new Army recruits. Every event was like it was made for him. It was easy, Pinto's recruiter said. Pinto, 18, was attracted to the Army for several reasons, including the sense of contributing something larger than himself, similar to what he experienced when he was a high school football offensive lineman. He also is determined to become the first in his family to join the military. You got one life. I don't want to wake up and do the same thing every day, Pinto said. There's a whole world out there. And yep, you're going to go see it, buddy. It's not going to be the good places, but you'll enjoy every second of it. Troops who deployed the U.S.-Mexico border are getting a medal. Yeah. That's fucking stupid. New set of gear could allow soldiers to ditch AA batteries. This thing is giving me a chubber. The Army, understand, I used to, as a platoon sergeant, carry batteries for M68 aim points and AA's for the platoon on my breast pocket in the winter so that they wouldn't die. Batteries were our lifeblood. The Army General in charge of fielding new combat gear outlined his vision Tuesday for an advanced digital soldier assembled designed to eliminate AA battery-powered weapons and tactical accessories, as well as a cumbersome connecting cables troops currently lug into battle. Army equipment officials met with defense firms Tuesday as an industry day focusing on adaptive squad architecture, a new framework to help the service and defense companies create streamlined digital wireless gear aimed at making soldiers and close combat squads significantly more effective in the future. If all goes well, this evolving concept will result in equipment sets that can run communication, navigation, and weapons accessories off of a common power source with significantly reduced soldier load. Potts said describing how weapons optics, aiming lights, weapons lights, night vision, radios, and other gear are all powered by redundant power sources such as AA and other small batteries. I don't want AA batteries. I don't want all kinds of other battery power sources because from my perspective for a soldier, all that means is another logistic supply need that needs to be fed, and he's dead on. So they have until 2021 
to work this out. Which is pretty freaking bad. Army, or badass, sorry. Army introduces new deck of black, or playing cards with Iranian weapon systems on it. And that's an interesting thing. Start training on Iran, because that's that. And then I started watching Contact. It's a show on Smithsonian. I love Smithsonian. I watch all sorts of stupid shows on it. In fact, this morning I was watching the uh, Pentagon attack aircraft on air disasters. Very good show. Breaks it down. But there's a lot of UFO shit. Now we have an office of UFOs, and we've already covered the videos of that UFO that's still freaking the world out because nobody can prove it's not a UFO. It went fucking underwater and everything. These five UFO traits have been seen by Navy fighters and defy explanation. One, anti-gravity lift. Unlike, Unlike any known aircraft, these objects have been sighted overcoming the Earth's gravity with no visible means of propulsion. They also lack any flight surfaces such as wings. In the Nimitz incident, it looked like a Tic Tac candy. Two, sudden and instantaneous acceleration. The objects may accelerate or change directions so quickly that no human pilot could survive the G-forces. They would be crushed. In the Nimitz incidents, radar operators said they tracked one of the UFOs as a drop from the sky at more than 30 times the speed of sound. Black Ace's squadron commander, David Frever, the Nimitz-based fighter pilot who was seen to intercept one of the objects, likened it to rapid side-to-side movements, later captured on infrared video to that of a ping-pong ball. Radar operators on the USS Princeton, part of the Nimitz Carrier Group, tracked the object accelerating from a standing position to traveling 60 miles in a minute. An astounding 3,600 miles an hour. To put it in perspective, the fastest an F-18 can go is 1,200 miles an hour. Hypersonic velocities without signatures. Everything you're seeing, there's nothing. There's no contours. Nothing. Four. Low observability or cloaking, even when the objects are observed, getting a clear and detailed view is impossible. Witnesses generally only see a glow or a haze. And lastly, transmedium travel. This is the one that freaks me the fuck out. And if you look at the video, it happened. Some UAPs have been seen moving easily in between different environments such as space, earth, and water. In the Nimitz incident, witnesses describe a UFO hovering over churning disturbance just under the ocean, otherwise calm surface, leading to speculation that another craft had entered the water. USS Princeton radar operator Gary Voorhees later confirmed from a Navy sonar operator in the area that the day that the craft was moving faster than 70 knots, roughly two times what a nuclear sub could do. No one has yet gotten close to the aircraft to display these traits, so their origins are still unknown. Nobody knows what's going on. But there's not one, two, three. There are hundreds. Hundreds. And that's pretty freaky. My wife says this is all tinfoil hat shit. I don't know. You watch the Nimitz videos. That ain't an aircraft. I don't know what the fuck it is. Which takes us to our college crazy. Conservative students can't be comfortable in class with an instructor who accused GOP of wanting ethnic cleansing. Well, it's kind of a no-brainer story. Poll students prefer Dem candidates with most socialist policies. I'm not going to read the results. It's obvious. They're taught socialism. So what do you expect? 
Socialist justice, social justice major courses event are new norm on college campuses. But it's not just on college campuses. As recently reported by Campus Reform, the University of Michigan School of Education is partnering to make a high school. Um, Campus Reform takes a look at other social justice initiatives. Here are some stories you may have missed. One, Social Justice Fest promotes sex work advocacy, boycotts Wendy's at Bradis University. You can major in social justice at nearly 70000 per year in Dominican University in California has added a standalone social justice major that will begin to accept students this upcoming fall. The school suggests journalist, photographer, filmmaker, community organizer, educator, political campaign staff, socially engaged artists as possible career choices. And your parents are at the house just shaking their head going, why the fuck am I paying for this? Three, OWU offers social justice major with mandatory activism. That's Ohio Wesleyan. Four, Harvard students can now earn social justice certificates, and we covered, you just got to pay $12,000. Five, UW-Madison pays students to advance social justice issues by going off post or off campus. And six, Georgetown classes students produce social justice documentaries for social action. Field students at Georgetown University can supplement their traditional education with social justice activism through social justice documentary, social justice, social justice. The school has encouraged students to pre-register for various courses. Some of the courses, Bible and social justice, which addresses uh, social justice issues within the Bible. Yeah, because they weren't, they were not woke back in the day. Climate change and social justice and gender and law. Hmm. New York School's White Ally Checklist, I Can Debrief with People of Color to Give and Receive Reality Checks. New York's college hosts to maintain a guide for educators who seek to incorporate whiteness studies into their education. Linking to another school's White Ally Checklist, which contains statements like, I can debrief with people of color to give and receive reality checks. I have joking relationships with individual people of color. Ithaca College hosts a website called WISE, Working to Improve School and Education, with a mission to provide anyone interested in improving U.S. schools with valuable information and resources about important issues in education and teaching. The website is broken down into various resource guides, most of which correspond to the teaching of separate ethnic groups, as well as sections focusing on subjects like sexuality education and school uniforms. One section, titled Whiteness Studies, provides a comprehensive list of links and resources surrounding whiteness. Although the section lists no description, the links it provides focus largely on topics like racism, white privilege, and being a white ally. If students click one link on this page, they'll be redirected to the website, The Anti-Racist Alliance an organization whose goal is to involve anti-racist structural power analysis and social service education and practice. The organization's website features a section on whiteness where white allies can find resources such as a checklist for active anti-racist ally behavior. Among other criteria, the checklist states that in order to qualify as an ally to minorities, a white person seeks to validate critical feedback from people of color, dismantles internalized dominance and the belief in the racial superiority of self as a white person, challenges others' whites, and interrupts collusions with other whites who seek to maintain their power and privilege. 
The same document also encourages white allies to identify problematic areas where they may get stuck, such as relying on people of color to teach them about their own racism, pointing out reverse racism, or knowing fewer than five non-white individuals. The organization's website describes its mission as being to build an equitable society by decentering white culture and centering an anti-racist multiracial culture free of white supremacy. Every time I read one of these, I just see it all. It's just, you're just making this shit up, bro. You're just making it up. You don't have any real racism anymore. You got perceived racism and you got to make this shit up just to charge guilty white kids who've been raised by super prog parents to walk around their whole life hating themselves because they came out of a, somebody's crotch and their skin was white. Hmm. North Carolina art professor slams faculty diversity workshop claims admin using Orwell as an instruction manual. I trust this message provides you with the ample time to include this afternoon your class preparation and planning as necessary, Peterson said, describing the diversity, quality, and inclusion-themed event. The UNCSA provost said that the school had contracted Illinois Wesleyan University professor of sociology, Megan Burke, for the workshop. Along with having written three books pertaining to race and social theory, Burke has also co-developed and directs IWU's Engaging Diversity Pre-Orientation Program, a three-day intensive program for incoming white students to deeply consider white privilege, anti-racism, so they can work as allies for social justice. According to Pierce's faculty bio, engaging a workshop leader sorts incoming students by their skin color and then subjects students of one race to a three-day of intensive indoctrination is all you need to know about this chilling effort to enforce closed-mindedness and eliminate diversity of thought at the UNCSA campus. A UNCSA faculty member who wished to remain anonymous told Campus Reform, I'm reminded of the re-education camps and totalitarian regimes. It seems like UNCSA administrator is familiar with Orwell's Animal Farm. And that's what it is. It is re-education. That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to take everything you thought, get rid of it, and tell you, you are bad. You don't shouldn't have a job. You shouldn't have an opinion. Shut your fucking mouth! <laughs> Taxpayer dollars feed Harvard's climate change tweeting tree. Hmm. Let's break that down. Thanks to funds from the U.S. government, researchers at Harvard University have equipped a tree with a Twitter account to amplify messages of climate change. With funds from various National Science Foundation grants, postdoctoral fellow Tim Rackmeyer and his team have outfitted a red oak tree with sensors, cameras, and codes, allowing it to piece together tweets using collected data and pre-written text. The tree located in Persian Mass has been dubbed the Witness Tree, according to a Harvard News release. The tree has been tweeting for about a month, taking the scientific data collected by the cameras and sensors and translating it into statements largely focusing on the tree's apparent concern for the summer heat. Yesterday, it was very hot. <laughs> the tree first tweeted... With a daily average of 27 degrees Celsius, you can just tell this is made by people who are just so anti-American. Who the fuck says Celsius? It was the 24th hottest day I can remember. The last two days are extremely hot for July. When is this heat going to end? The tree tweeted. 
Last month was warmer than usual. The average temperature colder at Harvard Forest. It tweeted. The tree's Twitter bio reads, Witnessing life as a tree in a changing environment for more than a century. Views are my own, sort of. Data translated by scientist communicator of HF. Rackmiker says his team worked hard to equip the tree with a voice. According to the news release, he says the team decided that tweet from the tree Twitter account made the most sense in the first person and even with a personality in order to make it relatable to a larger audience. But most importantly, our witness tree is an objectively data-driven account, which I expect will amplify messages of climate change, but we don't decide what gets posted. The tree does. What the fuck? Trees don't talk. They don't talk. What? What? What the fuck is wrong with us, man? I mean, what the fucking fuck? Oh my god! There's so many stupid people out there. I don't know what to do. Uh, all right, going to the LGBT mafia. There was a it. It's the LGBTQ day on Twitter where people took pictures of themselves. And I once again, don't give a fuck. Be a goat. Fuck a goat. None of my business. But if the climate's so bad for LGBTQ, how is that a Twitter moment and thousands of weirdos sent pictures about how cute they are? Yeah. If you're gay and you think yourself cute, I'm taking it you're not under a lot of pain and suffering as the left says just throwing it out there then there was mind hunter i'm just gonna read this and then i'm gonna go the fuck off anna torv wendy carr was dr ann wolbert burgess yep wendy is also based on a real person boston college dr anna wolbert burgess who really did work with douglas pressler and the fbi but in real life she didn't move to quantico for the job and she isn't gay it's not quite exactly the way it happened, which is fun, Dr. Burgess said. I've always been an academic. But they take her down to Quantico. I never moved down there like she did. I have children, and they've been a little bit nervous about the fact that they have me as a lesbian. That's been interesting. That's their right to portray it however they want, because I don't want to get run out by saying that it's wrong. So, if you haven't watched Mindhunter, it was a fantastic show that came out last year on Netflix. It uncorks the behavioral science unit of the FBI as they came up with serial mi- serial killer. They came up the word. Well, the criticism from that Netflix Obama run crabastic bullshit was that they didn't have enough people of color and there was no homosexuals on it. So this year they did the Atlanta child murders and left it open like the guy really didn't do it. But here's the facts. The moment they arrested that motherfucker, no more kids got killed. I'd do the math on that. And then they had this character be gay. Wasn't something last year. Now it is. Now what's my problem with it? A, I've said it a million times. I'm homophobic. I don't give a fuck if everybody's gay and it's part of the plot. This was so forced. This was glad forced Hollywood bullshit and there was only eight episodes, and they wasted, because I timed it, one complete episode on her gayness, which had nothing to do with the plot. If anything, it imperiled her ability to do what she wanted, because at the time, 
homosexuality was still deemed a mental illness. So a scientist pushing the reasons why gay guys kill and all this other shit, it would have been no joy for her to be gay. But a whole episode, one entire episode lost on her fuckfest with some lady. Now, the thing that cracked me up the most, and this is not just me, it's my wife. When they showed the love scenes, they showed her getting banged by a woman as if it was normal. So it's waist up in the bed, hoping. Now, I've seen some porn. It, it happens in life. You come across some lesbian porn. And I understand the whole concept about strap-ons and all that bullshit. In fact, I've done social media bullshit on here, if you want to go back to the early episodes, where I really said, it's what bothers me about the vegan gay community. If you're vegan, why do you eat shit that tastes like meat? Because meat is murder. And if you're gay and you're a lesbian, why the fuck are you using a dick? A plastic one. Dicks would be gross to you because you don't like men, correct? And the whole thing where they pattern a relationship. One lady looks like Ellen, which you haven't seen Ellen DeGeneres lately. She's more male than I am. And one woman looks very feminine. So why are you patterning heterosexual relationship? If I was gay, I'd have a hairy-ass motherfucking lumberjack that'd be my guy because I'd be into guys, correct? Well... This, try to portray their sex as normal sex. And it's not. You can bump two fucking A's into each other. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. You gotta have an A and a B. Everybody with me out there? That's all I'm saying. So, it was so contrived, so forced, it just pissed me off. I tweeted them a million times. My tweets got deleted. Because it was against, um, you know, Twitters. You can't talk about gay people. <clears throat> but it had nothing to do with the plot. I don't give a fuck if you're gay. It's no different than uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Watched it. Loved that show. The moment they made the girl who was banging every dude on the planet, who was the love interest of the little Asian boy, who's the main character, who I love, the little chubby dude. And she became gay because they didn't have any gay people. And that was the criticism online. That they didn't have gay represented in a 1990 retro show. I stopped watching instantly. It wasn't because there was gayness in it. It was because fuck you changing the plot. Fuck you forcing this shit. So Mindhunter, me and my wife, we completed it, but we're not watching it again. It ruined the fucking show. We could have had so much cool shit. The reason why we tuned in to watch them break down serial killers. No, we were learning how her gay relationship with a bartender was going. Fucking assholes. Damned if you do. Trans film angers trans types. It had a sharp cracking sound. No, it was a huge earth shaking thud. Sometimes reading about stuff left these fine controversials like observing two people arguing over what the proverbial tree that fell in the forest would have sounded like if anybody had been around. It's all rather obscure and meaningless. For example, in an August 19th piece in the New York Times, Julia Jacobs alerts readers to the contempts around the indie comedy Adam. The trans film tries to depict the niche culture of young queer political New Yorker, Jacobs said, while being accessible to cisgender audience who know very little about the world, right? 
But finding an audience of normal people is hardly Adam's biggest problem. The plot has a straight cisgender teenage boy trying to deceive a young lesbian and thinking he is transgender, believing it's the only way he could have a chance with her, according to Jacobs. Sounds like a madcap romp sure to be a hit in enlightened precincts like the Times Newsroom. No, no. It's premise that raises eyebrows and causes some to wonder, really, in 2019. The problem in the words of one A.J. Matolia, a transgender filmmaker based in Brooklyn, is that Adam is a film that shows another cis-white male heterosexual doing what he needs to do to manipulate a woman. So much horror. Because nobody bullies like those who scream loudest about bullying. Trans types want the film memory hold. There is, say Jacob, a... petition, which recently gained traction after it was posted online last year, urging moviegoers to avoid Adam because it undermines the struggles of the trans community faces. But wait! The film's creator argue in Jacob's word that it is about a character with the most privileged combination of identities, white, male, straight, cisgender, dropping into a world where being transgender and queer is both admirable and desirable. See? They talk about privilege and make a white guy uncomfortable. It must be okay. And it's like this is the NRA production. Jacob says Adam is the creation of Ariel Schrackrag, who is a cisgender lesbian. The director of the film, Ray Ernst. How are you cisgender lesbian? Oh, because she only wants... Okay, Jesus Christ. See, you're not even woke enough if you're a lesbian. Rin Erst, who is transgender. Not enough for a get-out-of-jail-free card? How about this? About 40% of the cast is transgender or non-binary. 30% is cisgender and queer. That adds up to 70% virtuous. Even Metolius admits it employed so many trans people and is so hard to hate on. Still, writes Jacob, some viewers worry that the film could be interpreted as an endorsement of bad behavior. In other words, a girl pretending to be a boy is noble, but a boy pretending to be a girl pretending to be a boy isn't. A good thing, few people will ever hear this tree fall, and I'll be one of them. FX drama one-ups Kaepernick waves LGBTQ flag for the national anthem. Yeah, not reading it. Go fuck yourself. Why Bachelor in Paradise broke his rules for first same-sex romance. Speaking to the Hollywood Reporter, Harrison explained the decision by producers to break show rules and allow a franchise outsider onto the show displays a more modern, evolved version. A.K.A. We didn't have a choice. We were getting bashed by Glad for not having gay people on our fucking stupid-ass show. So now, we got two lesbians going at each other. Woohoo! Disgusting news. Girls as young as five walk at Victoria's Secret Show in China. What the fuck, China? To climate. And I am not making this shit up. Oh. A, we're back on the fucking using AC. But first and foremost, most, Iceland just held a funeral for a glacier. Yeah. A fucking glacier. Sorry about that. I had to pause for a second. I had to confirm we booked the hotel. Got a great rate because we're going to the end of September. So it's like one fifty a night on the beach at the best hotel. Well, the second best. The best is Margaritaville in Pensacola. But the second best is a Holiday Inn Express that's like a half hotel. So every room is viewing the gulf it's just so gorgeous so four nights 
I'm going to let everybody see the whale. The whale's coming out. I'll let my fatness glide. Freaking, my fatness will bake on Pensacola Beach. Already got some flying pig cigars. Man, I am stoked. All right, moving on. Because I'm sure it's going to go in line with this story, which means I'm bad for going to the beach. Federal energy program suggests keeping thermostat at 78 degrees, 82, while you're sleeping. To keep your home cool with central air conditioning while also optimizing energy efficiency, keep the temperature at 78 degrees or higher. Suggestion comes from Energy Star, a federal program managed jointly by the Department of Energy Environmental Protection Agency that provides information to consumers about energy efficiency practice. According to Energy Star, keeping your central air thermostat set to 78 degrees is optimal for both cooling and energy efficiency. But this recommendation only applies to the times when you are home. While you are away from the house during the day, you should keep the thermostat set to 85 degrees. While you sleep, 82 or higher. This went with Jennifer Tyson, Titus. How, do you, how cool do you keep your home? New report. Our show shows that our recommendation temperatures for energy efficiency is 78 degrees while you're home, 85 while you're at work, or 82 while you're sleeping. No. Fucking no. That is the dumbest shit ever. Here's the deal. If you keep your house at 78, that AC is going to be on all the fucking time. And if you keep your house and keep adjusting the temperatures, it makes the air conditioner work harder. I keep my air conditioner on 69 degrees now. 69. At night, 70. But I have an air conditioner that's twice the size of my house. Thus, my electricity bill is 125 bucks. It's for a whole home. Water heater, the whole nine yards. I've upgraded the windows, roof, we have new water heater. The modern shit is made to do whatever the fuck you want. This is so fucking stupid. Then you got cheddar, perfect for small spaces. This is a hand-powered washing machine. You can wash maybe a pair of underwear. But that's what they said. You need to go to hand-powered. You shouldn't be using a washing machine. And if you are... You're a piece of shit. Then comes The Economist. More poor people are eating meat around the world. That means they will live longer, healthier lives. But it's bad for the environment. Amy Curtis. Translation. Poor people living longer, healthier lives is a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah. Eating meat's bad. You fucking weirdos. San Francisco Airport has banned single-use water bottles. On Tuesday, the ban on selling many single-use plastic water bottles at San Francisco International Airport went into full effect. The ban was implemented based on a 2014 ordinance that banned selling disposable plastic bottles on city-owned property. As NBC News reported gleefully, 58 million passengers go through San Francisco International Airport. 10,000 single-use bottles are sold every day, amounting to 4 million every year. Travelers lugging empty canisters through security, they refill them at the airport, more than 100 hydration stations. The water dispenser mounting outside most bathrooms. The fountains had no lines early Tuesday morning. And this is a great thing, because we're going to save a fucking turtle. CNN noted, America eats, drinks, and breathes between 74,000 and 121,000 microplastic particles each year 
depending on their age and sex, and sex, according to a recent study. If bottled water and not tap water is our only source of hydration, annual plastic particle intake via drinking water is estimated to be approximately 75,000 for boys, 127,000 for men, 64,000 for girls, and 93,000 for women. The Daily Wire report in July, the South Francisco Board of Supervisors took a proposal to ban plastic straws. Then proposed ban would also prevent vendors from using taking containers made with fluorocated chemicals. Jesus fucking Christ, you people. All the while, Antifa's beating people down. You don't care. New York Times brings us into our racism because it's still a theme, but I threw it back here just to hit the point that whenever they can, the New York Times is going to say everything is fucking racist. What's racist today? I'm about to make this a segment. New York Times, what's racist? The sugar that saturates the American diet has a barbaric history as the white gold that fueled slavery. Yeah. So we learned today, slavery stops you from getting health care, and slavery is why you eat sugar. I'm not reading anymore. You fucking pair. Somebody said something really funny. Jen- Jessica Fletcher. Is brown sugar also racism or just white? <laughs> Yeah, work that riddle out, Batman. Fucking wahoos. Matlin Glazy brings us the next stupid thing. The government should try to do something to discourage expensive weddings and wedding-related activities, which seems to cause a lot of stress in people's finances and interpersonal relationships and probably discourages people from getting married. So now we want the federal government regulating weddings. Okay. Spider-Man versus Toxic Masculinity is our next story. Marvel really needs the SJW market for some reason, so it's injecting its latest Spider-Man colic with a pro-feminist, anti-patriarchy bent that should generally please only a handful of comic book readers. Look, we get the market is diversifying. We're told that every day. But does Marvel really think its audience wants its violent prone superheroes tackling gender politics well apparently the authors of amazing spider-man number 27 find it compelling for the latest in the saga of everybody's friendly neighborhood spider-man the writer team concocted a set of villains so senators sinister so powerful that they could cause any antsy frat boy or creepy office boss to wake up in cold sweats that's right the new spider-man villain team consists of super-powered women whose megalomaniac ambitions are powered by deep hatred of, you guessed it, toxic masculinity. They want to bring down the patriarchy, and more so, take a shot against toxic masculinity in New York that they believe should have been more women in power. Woohoo! Wow. Okay. It's a fucking comic. Get over yourself. Newsweek. Time to rethink taboo. On cannibalism? Wow. This is an article. Since cannibalism is found throughout the animal kingdom and therefore is something natural, perhaps it's time for humans to rethink the ultimate taboo against eating human flesh. Newsweek proposes in an article Wednesday, there is nothing necessarily unethical or unreasonable about eating human flesh, declare psychologist Jared Piazza and Neil McClatchy of Lancaster University. But careful reasoning over the merits of cannibalism is often overridden by our feeling of repulsion and disgust. 
while not going so far as to recommend cannibalism, saying there is no need to overcome a repulsion for the foreseeable future, the two authors suggest that humans can master their aversion for human flesh if they need to. Many people develop disgust for all kinds of meat, while morticians and surgeons quickly adapt to initially difficult experience of handling dead bodies. Our own going research with butchers in England suggests that they easily adapt to working with animal parts that the average consumer finds quite disgusting. Moreover, the psychological revulsion experienced over the prospect of consuming human flesh is not the product of reason and may even contradict reason, they argue in Wednesday's article, which originally appeared last week in the Conver- Conversation. Survivors of the famous Andy's plane crash waited until near starvation before they ate other people's asses. And it goes on from there, and I'm not reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You fucking people. What the fuck, Chuck? What the fuck? To show you're never woke enough, our next story, actress blasted for daughter's Mexican-themed party, she fires back, I thought now would be a great time to celebrate Mexico. Actress Eva Muro Martino, the daughter of Susan Sarandon and Italian director Franco Amuri, faced severe backlash on social media for the crime of throwing a five-year-old daughter a Mexican-themed birthday party, and she was accused of cultural appropriation. Kate Upton demands more body inclusiveness at Victoria's Secrets. We're sick of seeing the same body type. And she was crushed for this. But I got to tell you, I can never get enough of seeing Kate Upton in a bikini. I'm sorry, that's a woman, man. She's curvy. She's, she's gorgeous. Got to have some meat on the bone. To our crazy crime, Montana hailstorm slaughters 11,000 birds. Huge hail. We had some this week. It was pretty fucking scary. Six seniors face sex charges for sex in the park is our next story. Six people ranging the age from 62 to 85 face sex charges after being arrested in conservation area in Connecticut. Police say the six, five men and an 84-year-old woman were involved in lewd and sexual activity in the Grace Richardson conversation conservation sorry area in Fairfield early this month. Police say the area was being published, publicized on the internet as an area for people to meet and have sex. So somebody was gangbanging an old lady. Hmm. That's just fucking wrong on so many levels. XFL's come out and they have, uh, what is it, eight teams? The first one, the Dallas Renegades. Second one, the DC Defenders. Third, New York Guardians. Fourth, Seattle Dragons. Oh, that's about fucking dragons. Come on. Fifth, Tampa Bay Vipers. Sixth, St. Louis Battlehawks. Um, seven, Los Angeles Wildcats. And eight, Houston Roughnecks. Huh. And then our last story. World famous porn star Jenny Lee found living homeless in Las Vegas Tunnel. Article breaks down that she just likes living there in the 200-mile-long labyrinth beneath the casino capital of the world. And she looks fucking horrible. Her videos are still being sold. She has money, but she wants to live underground. Which takes us to our lighter fare. 
Our liner fair today is pretty brief. Pierce Morgan puts snowflake culture on full blast and calls out unbearable liberals. <laughs> I'm not gonna read it. I'm not gonna read it. I just had to put that out there. I think that is so fucking hilarious because when you really break it down, this guy was super anti-gun and then he got exiled, and now he opened up his eyes after leaving CNN and realized what we knew all along. The next one comes from Zach in Tennessee. This year, The year is 2034. The cash me outside girl is president. There are 67,298 genders. It's illegal to have an opinion. I'm the last straight white male. This is my story. <laughs> it's pretty much fucking true. And then lastly, PETA. We had last week that milking a cow or inseminating it was tantamount to rape. Yeah, that's what they said. So now PETA comes out with, seem wrong? If you wouldn't breastfeed from a cow, then you shouldn't drink their milk out of a carton either. Hashtag World Plant Milk Day. And they show a dude sucking on a cow titty. It's a woman, but the head's a cow. The problem with their tweet, majority of the smartasses out there, who are not much different than me, all said the same thing. Oh, I'd get down there and suck some titty. Fuck it, I like milk. Me, I, I, I can't drink milk, but yeah, that's just fucking absurd. Which brings us to our This Is America. It was so bad that Chunk Unger... I had to do a segment on this because his nephew went motherfucking batshit crazy. But within this, I'll read some tweets. This is what the left thinks about veterans. But not only veterans, that overpowering urge to say, what happened on 9-11? We deserve that shit. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Soft power is the exact same as hard power. Soft power, embassies, diplomacy, exact same thing as military bases. I'm, I can't do this. I can't do this. This guy has the understanding of foreign policy uh, of like a 12-year-old. What the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with this dude? Didn't he go to war and like literally lose his eye because some Mujahideen, a brave fucking soldier, fucked his eye hole with their dick? Isn't that how he lost his fucking dumbass eye? Because he got his fucking eye hole fucked? By a brave soldier? Didn't he learn that there's a difference between, like, military bases and, and diplomacy? America deserved 9-11, dude. Fuck it. I'm saying it. We're there to partner with them. We're not there doing our own thing. We're there partnering and training In a video and, and, game. And, and, and enhancing their capabilities. So that, that's part of what we're doing. And the other part is just knowledge. We want to know what's happening. Like, pieces of shit like this are so scattered across the left persuasion 
from TV news host to, you know, you can go back to that fucking piece of shit that looks like Maddo on fucking MSDNC. He said the same thing. They hate veterans. This guy is a war hero. But this is what he said. Hansant the Hun. Hansanby, that's his name. Dan Crenshaw's crying on a comedian podcast about how not offended he was about a joke made against him almost an entire year ago. Right-wing victimhood is a brain disease. Crenshaw. The only thing that offends me is your inability to use capital letters in any of your tweets. But really... It is the fact that Google, YouTube profit from and promote the Young Turks and by extension your disgusting defense of the 9-11 terrorist attack against America. If you have a problem supporting terrorists and those who fund terrorists, why do you vote against stopping our arms sale to Saudi Arabia four times? Those weapons are now literally in the hands of Al-Qaeda, precisely the point I made in that video that cuts off right before, I don't support terrorism. After all, I'm criticizing the American government supporting terrorism, both leading up to and post 9-11. I realize I use imprecise language that easily got weaponized by the right, but spare me your moral grandstanding. Um, Crenshaw, what part was imprecise? All the F-bombs? The part where you called the person a brave soldier who planted the idea against Crenshaw? You're a cancer, dude. You've said your piece. Now lay in it. Why are you making eyepatch Dick Cheney mad? These are lefties. Dan Crenshaw really needs to grow up. The man still goes to work dressed like a pirate. He's just mad he lost an eye for no good reason. If you don't capitalize your letter, Hassan, he won't be able to see them with his one eye. The, that may be all that offends him. He really just jealous of your depth perception, you know, being able to look beyond the surface of issues. If he didn't want us to make fun of him for being a dipshit chud with a fuckhole for an eye, then he shouldn't have got the rest of his head, he should have gotten the rest of his head blown off. This article, those human puddles of gutter slime seem pretty eager to take P- Piker's weaponized language and run with it. And that's okay, because this is really all Crenshaw on the right's fault anyway. They should have just taken Piker's hateful visionness and left him alone. Freedom-loving America, dude, calling you out for being a radical bigot who supports terrorism isn't moral grandstanding. It's factual. Bob Malek, you cheered on a terrorist as a hero and called 911 a good thing. Just because you got a call from the American genocide denying uncle that pays your bills doesn't change you exposing what you really are. So why is this the worst thing I heard all week? This was on a TV network. This was on YouTube. This was on Twitter. None of it's bad. That's freedom of speech. But me saying, hey, your gay theory or gay plot line that you forced in here just to appease Glad really ruined the show is hate speech. That's the game they play. And I gotta say, attacking a combat hero, a wounded warrior, and making patch jokes about his eye. That is about as low as you can get on the political spectrum, but it's allowed. That's where we're at. They talk about, we need to be above this. We need to, when they go low, we go high. But the problem is, the left still runs with Obama's, well, 
When they bring a knife, we bring a gun. And that's how they live their life. Our second soundbite, which destroys the whole last sound by the day, I had to get it in here because it was given to me by my better half. And it pretty sums up the immigration thing in a nutshell. She shared it with me, and I want to share it with you. Because these hypocrites in the media, the hypocrites in the Democratic Party, they don't really want to live with what they themselves have said and done. Now in 2018, they're telling you the, the existential threat to America is a bunch of poor refugees a thousand miles away. They're even taking our brave troops away from their families for a political stunt. President Obama is sending 1,200 National Guard troops to boost security along the U.S.-Mexican border. In addition to the troops, the president is also requesting $500 million for border security. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully uh, to become immigrants in this country. Our message absolutely is don't send your children unaccompanied uh, on trains or through, uh, through a bunch of smugglers. We don't even know how many of these kids don't make it and may have been waylaid into sex trafficking or killed because they fell off a train. We have no way of tracking that. Our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before. We need to try to incentivize Mexico to do more. We are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years. If they've committed transgressions of whatever kind, they should be obviously deported. We will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crime. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. Until the American people are convinced that we will stop future flows of illegal immigration, we will make no progress on dealing with the millions of illegal immigrants who are here now and on rationalizing our system of legal immigration. When we use phrases like undocumented workers, we convey a message to the American people that their government is not serious about combating illegal immigration. None of that's edited. Those are exact words of Obama, Hillary, Bill, Schumer, all these people said the same thing Trump said, but we don't have a single person in the media will go back and play that. That's some rando who made it on Facebook. My wife found it and she shared it with me, and I'm sure all of you have seen it. But both of these sound bites surmise the left. You can say that heinous shit that his eye hole got fucked by a brave terrorist and you can make mount, fucking mountains 
out of immigration when you yourself were for everything Trump's doing and our media just ignores it. They ignore that fucking kind of conversation and statements about an American hero and they ignore every Democrat getting up there grandstanding saying it's just horrible and these poor freedom-loving fucking immigrants need everything for free. That's disgusting. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. Still waiting for you out there, Denmark. Send me an email, brother or sister. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. So we're looking at a podcast on the 28th of August, year of our Lord, 2018. That'll be our next one. Um, until then, enjoy your family. Got to cool off in the South. In most of the country, going to be a little bit cooler this week, which will be very, very nice. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. Give your undivided attention to your family because it's a short ride. They're going to be gone, and you're going to regret it. Thank you, as always, for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. <laughs>